So hello and welcome back to the Disclosure Podcast. I am your host Ed and today is a very special podcast. Um, I'm really excited to announce that I'm joined in the studio um, by Ryan. Ryan uh, is a dairy farmer and when I announced I was doing the podcast, Ryan reached out to me uh, via email and said, oh look, you know, I'm you know, I'm really interested in coming in and having a discussion with you. And so I asked if he could come to London and, and it just so happened he could. And so here we are in the studio together. Um, so thank you so much for being here, Ryan. I, I'm really very grateful for you reaching out to me. And if I could just start by asking, like, what, what compelled you to, to kind of want to reach out in the first place? Um, I was just watching that video where you were announcing your your Disclosure podcast. And, and I was just thinking to myself, I've always wanted to speak to one of the big activists like I've watched you and Joey Carbstrong and a couple more. I've always wanted to um, have a conversation, so I thought that would be a great way to make it possible. Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, this is one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast was to to hopefully create conversations and, you know, perfect. I'm, I'm so happy that you're here, so thank you for making the journey. You know, Belfast is, is not that far, but it's also not that close, so thank you for taking the time to do this. Um, right. So I, I guess the, the first question, well, the first, like, round of questions would be kind of can, tell me a little bit about about what you do you live in in northern ireland is that right yeah. and, you, and you you work on two dairy farms is, is that right yeah so i live just outside of belfast in a small sort of town called Cardiff, just outside of it and um i started working on dairy farms when i was about 12 a neighbor of mine um, i got a job with him and i've been working there ever since and then about september or maybe october i got another job on a bigger dairy farm which is about 20 minutes away from me, and I started working on it. So I've been working on dairy farms for about five years. Yeah. And, and what, what are the, the herd sizes on, on both those farms? So the first farm that I started, on, started working on is milking about 40 cows. The second farm that I'm working on is milking 200. It's interesting. And so yeah. which, which, you know, and you might not want to answer this, but which, which farm do you prefer working on? Well, I probably prefer on the 40 cow one. It's yeah, easier on me. Um, right. And I've just been there for longer. And they're all Jersey guys, whereas the other ones are Frasians, Holsteins, and I prefer the wee jerseys. What, and their temperament, you mean? Or? Yeah, they're, they don't give as much milk. They're a wee bit smaller, and um, they're just easier to work with. They're nice and relaxed and um, yeah. when, themselves. When you say easier to work with, what, what do you mean by that? Well, um, they're just easier to handle because they're that much smaller, and um, they wouldn't be as... Um, like when you bring them into the parlour, they'd just be quiet, whereas um, the Frisians would be hitting their heads and trying to get food out of the feeders. and yeah. They'd just be a lot, probably, wouldn't say a lot more curious, but just a lot more hyper sort of. Do you, do you ever find it dangerous working with, with the cows? Because obviously they, they, are, they are big yeah, animals. Yeah, they are big animals. Um, with bulls, definitely you need to be careful. Um, it's, they can't be dangerous because at the end of the day they are animal. So a lot of them will act on instinct. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, but so far so good. Never had any really bad injuries or anything, and that's good. They've all been pretty good for me. And uh, with the, you have bulls on on the farms as yeah. well. So um, on the small one, there's just one bull, and on the big one, yeah, there's just one bull too. Mm-hmm. And what's the 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 bull's purpose is is for breeding. Breeding, yeah. And so uh, you use presumably AI on on both farms. No. Um, we don't use AI on the small farm, and they did use AI on the big farm. Now, I'm never there for that because I'm just sort of milking. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really agree with AI. Um, on the small farm, the bull is for breeding purposes because he can manage that, whereas on the bigger farm, I think they use a bit of AI because 
the boat can't do 200 guys. No, 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 definitely not. <laughs> you need a couple. So uh, take me through, well, if we, if we do like the small farm first, yeah. so the, the, the bull is, is brought into a pen with a, with a, um, a cow who is ready, who's fertile, I guess yeah. is the word. And then they just, uh, procreate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, it's never really set up to be honest, because the cows are always together. So, um, he just sort of does it when he wants. And, um, that farm that I, that first farm that I work on, it isn't that high tech. So we're never really checking in and, you know, like scanning them and all. We just yeah. sort of, the farmer work with, he's, he's an older man and he's quite wise, you know, we just sort of, he can tell you, but, um, they're, they're never really putting a pen or anything. The only time that would be done would be maybe the dry cows who are, um, coming up to calving. Um, maybe if one of them um, needed served or one was up there that shouldn't have been up there, we might move the bull up there and mm-hmm. let him go ahead. And on the uh, on the bigger farm, mm-hmm. how does that process work? Well, the bull's in with a set of guys and then the other set are AI. Okay. So the AI guys would come in. Um, they, they're in quite often. You just I just see the van. I've never um, really took much notice of it. Um, because I don't really agree with AI, although yeah. I do see the benefits sometimes. Because I know um, AI can now have sacked semen, so you can get female cows, which stops the killing of bull calves anyway. But it's not a very nice process. I don't really. You, um, and so don't when you get it, no, when you say you don't agree with it, you mean you don't agree with it from like an ethical perspective? Yeah, just sort of the way it's all handled. You know, um, I just think it's just sort of be let let it happen naturally. You know. Yeah, I mean, I probably think, easier on the car. Well, yeah, I think we can probably all agree on that. I mean, and, and as, as you probably know, I think one of the one of the one of the points of dairy farming that often vegans point out is the the artificial insemination. You know, and they say, oh, it's it's, it's not consensual, and it's the you know for anyone listening who doesn't necessarily know the process, the process is 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 quite grim. You know, they get the semen from the bull. That's often, I guess, done by by hand or by some sort of machinery, but it's a uh, it's a, I don't know. It's it's a creepy thing, almost, isn't it? To, yeah. For you know, I don't know if it's the vet or the farmer or someone will will acquire the semen from the bull. You know, we can kind of all use our imaginations probably to to work that one out. And then um, the semen will go on ice, you know, to to preserve it. The AI team or the vet will come into the farm. The um, the person who's doing the insemination, they'll put a glove on their arm and they put their arm inside the cow's anus. And they hold her cervix in place through the line of the anus. Uh, they then get the semen, and you know, through some sort of syringe catheter thing, they inject the semen inside the the cervix of the cow. So, you know, it's a very invasive procedure. It's not one that I'm sure the cows would enjoy. Um, but, you know, we 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 agree on that. I guess the issue is if we're producing enough dairy to meet demand, there has to be a system in place that is reliable. Um, that means there's a consistent turnover of new, of new calves. Um, so the farmers are consistently producing enough milk to make money. And so for an industry to be profitable on the scale it, 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 you know, it's at, it, it's probably the only way to maintain it. I mean, what, what do you think? Do you agree or, yeah. or disagree? Well, like on the small farm, we would get quite a lot of bull calves. Um, mm. But he wouldn't really raise, even if he did get female calves, we wouldn't raise them that much. It's very expensive. That's the only thing with AI. It yeah. is quite expensive. So it is for the bigger farms. Like I know farms of 100 herd size or 80 herd size all around us that would all still use bulls. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, for the bigger farms, for them to be able to make it a profit, they would definitely use it. Although um, like we don't we don't kill any of our bull calves. No. We just run them on for beef or raise them for 
and selling them on once they get to sort of an age, you know. So you tell them to, to auction markets or do you have people come? Yeah, people would buy them, but sometimes we would take them to an auction and mm-hmm. sell them on. So I guess like, as you said, you said, oh, you know, we don't, we don't kill the bull calves ourselves, but I guess in, in a way you still sell them on to be killed in, in the long run. So yeah. even though you don't directly kill them by mm-hmm. the fact that they're produced because of what you do, they're still killed because of, of what you do, if that makes sense. But, but they, they will be killed for a purpose. It obviously, um, this is obvious what the purpose is, but but tell me, you know, what is the purpose of why we kill the animals? Um, for what they give us, their products. Um, meat is the main thing. There, beef, veal. Well, veal isn't really eaten that much in this country, nor rose veal. But it's you know, yeah. it's a bit. It's not the, not like it used to be, so to speak. Yeah. But yeah, it's used for um, the product they give us. Yeah, and and when you when you say give us, it's for me, it's it's an interesting. I think language is really important. Yeah. And when we use words like give, it's almost like it's a mutual offering. And I guess the, the way I would phrase it is for the things that we take from them. Do you think that they willingly give us meat and, and flesh and, and even and even milk, you know, or do we take that? Yeah. Um, it's interesting because we don't really know what the animals are thinking that much, but um, I, yeah. I would probably doubt they would offer, offer us <laughs> right. it, but um, it's sort of what we, what we do. Yeah, and I guess the, the the question of like it's what we do. I guess is, do we have to? Do we have to do it? Um, I would say yes, for um, nutritional purposes. I know you'll probably disagree, um, and environment definitely. All right, that, that's I'm, yeah. I'm, that's interesting. All right, so um, from let's do like I guess the nutrition one, mm-hmm. um, meat, you know, protein. Um, milk, calcium, you know, probably you're going to say like vitamin D and, and, and things like that as well. Um, I mean, I guess the question is, is it exclusively from these products or, or can we get them from plant-based sources? Um, you, you you can get other from plant-based sources, bar vitamin D. Yeah, you can get D2, um, or, but you know, vitamin D is the sunshine vitamin and in the yeah. UK, regardless of whether we eat dairy or not, we should all be supplementing vitamin D anyway. Yeah. You know, we can get supplemented soy milk and stuff. But yeah, yeah. Okay. Sorry, carry on. Um, but then I don't think that um, it plant-based products are as nutrient as dense of nutrients. Um, collectively, you probably be eating a lot more plant-based foods than what you could get from milk or say beef. You know, like red meat is quite high in iron. Mm-hmm. When you look at the plant-based, like plants that are high in iron, it's they're high, but they're not as dense. So you, you'd have to eat a lot more. And plants are quite fibrous, so if you're eating, you're going to feel fuller, and it's harder to get that many nutrients, you know. From yeah, I mean, I think you are right in saying that a lot of these products maybe contain higher levels of certain things. I mean, you, the red meat and iron thing, of course, is yeah. you know, there's no denying that red meat has lots of iron in. Um, and the you know, in the interest of fairness, the the thing about iron from from um, animal based sources is it's heme iron right mm-hmm. um, and from plant based sources it's non heme iron and, and you know there are arguments that heme iron is, is better obtained from the body than non heme but the other alternative to it to, with the non heme is that it's better absorbed when you have it with vitamin C and so iron when combined with vitamin C is, it creates a, a better absorption process in the body and the plant based sources of iron often are coupled with, with vitamin C we look at you know broccoli and, and you, know, yeah. gr- you know green leafy vegetables are are often an example of that. And, you know, I, I would argue that it's still easy to obtain all the things that we need to get from a plant-based diet. But even if we say, it, even if we say it's not, and we say, it, you know, it's, it's, 
it's a little bit harder and you have to eat maybe 100 grams more beans to get the same protein as you as you would from one steak and and so you've got to eat a little bit more of certain things to get the same levels that and i would say it's probably nothing more than an inconvenience to us do you, do you think that inconvenience then justifies taking taking an animal's life if it's if it is something as simple as oh okay well you have to have some kale in a smoothie to make sure you're getting the calcium you need in the day or something do you do you think that justifies taking their life um that alone probably doesn't justify taking this life, but I think there's a lot more that plays into it than just inconvenience. Like, if you look at, um, obviously plants are grown here, but not everything you eat is grown here. So, you know, you're adding on food miles. Um, then we look local economy then's affected because obviously exporting, importing, it tastes too, you know. Um, although people think it's a stupid factor, it is a big factor. You know, people do enjoy food for high tastes yeah it's, it's i think it's the biggest biggest reason i think you know people will point at nutrients and stuff but the bottom line i think is for many people it is taste and and taste is a, a, an interesting thing and we'll come on to that but you, you also mentioned the environments so you say we well, you know from a nutritional perspective it's you'd argue potentially it's a necessity or or maybe it's not a necessity but there are you know factors in there that make it you know potentially worthwhile doing what about from an environmental perspective what what is it about dairy farming or indeed any any form of animal farming sheep or or even pig and chicken obviously the environmental impact of that's probably a lot more debatable but let's say kind of sheep and and dairy and and cattle farming what are the environmental benefits of that well i'm all about grass-fed so two farms i work on are grass-fed um animals outside and um i think it's pretty essential to the ecosystem for grass-fed bases like I know um, the stat in 2016 was that agriculture is 10% of all UK's greenhouse emissions. Mm-hmm. But then when you look at the land mass, agriculture takes up 70% of all UK land. So if you put it in perspective, businesses are 17% of greenhouse gases and they probably don't even make up a quarter of the land. Oh, definitely not. Yeah. So when you look at it in that ratio, is it really that much for something that's taking up so much land and it's feeding the country? And like grassland, like grazing land that we have, you couldn't grow a crop on it. And and if we were to stop dairy farming, stop putting cows in it, the carbon in the soil would be lost, the organic fertilizer we gain from them would be lost, and that land would just lie dormant because you couldn't grow. It's too rocky or it's too rough. Like nowadays, if if we were to go vegan, it's it we'd be under too much pressure not to have a famine or not to have a failed crop because we are relying on it that if we couldn't find right growing land or whatever, they wouldn't bother. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm going to kind of, I'm trying to, I may forget certain points, so please pull me up on them if I do. Um, But I kind of, so the first thing was was looking at kind of local um, and air miles and stuff. Mm -hmm. And and I I, I do actually really agree with you. And one thing that concerns me a little bit is sometimes vegans who say, being vegan is better for the environment. Uh, But, you know, and then we are, you know, buying products that are taken from South America or, or something. Um, and so I do think that we have to look at where products come from, even if they're fruits and vegetables and, and grains and such as well. And I don't think that simply because something is a plant-based product, it's therefore, you know, wonderful for the environment. I'd make the argument it's still better. And, you know, New Zealand lamb, for example, I think like 40% of the lamb meat in this country is is New Zealand lamb. And the air miles and something like that are completely atrocious. But I'm, of course, you're not advocating for that. It's more of just a general point. So the the, the local kind of air miles aspect of it, um, I think, plays a part in terms of fossil fuel, fuel usage and, and, and like an environmental factor. 
But at the same time, you have to look at kind of the system as a whole and greenhouse gas emissions are one part of um, the problem with animal agriculture. Methane is, I think often people use methane as like the be all and end all of the argument when actually I think it's just one component of the argument and it, it doesn't represent all of the problems within, within the industry. And part of that problem is land usage as well. And I don't know the statistic you're referring to, so I'm not going to try and dispute the 10% statistic you said. As I say, I'm not, I don't know the source for it, but even if it is true, as you say, was it 70% of agriculture? Right, so 70% of land in this country is used for agriculture. Um, and you're right in saying that some of that land, and maybe there's some land you're referring to, wouldn't be suitable for arable farming. And so it's, it's suitable for animal farming, but not arable. But my argument would be that environmentally... It would the best thing to do with that land then is not necessarily to rear animals or even to produce, um, you know, to 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 put you know manure on it necessarily. Mm-hmm. But it's it's to leave that land alone. Um, and in doing so, what we can do is the natural lands will replenish. So if if you look at the UK in general, I guess it's because seventy percent of the land is used for agriculture. It's just completely flat. And historically, the UK was it was a really vibrous ecosystem with woodlands and forestlands, and you know, and a huge diversity of animals. You know, deer and and I think probably wild boar and such. Maybe back in the day, I don't know about that so much. But it was a really vibrous environment and landscape. And and, and due to agriculture, we've wiped out so much of um, of that environment. And so, I, for the environment and for the purpose of like you say, carbon absorption, um, you know, and the absorption of greenhouse gas emissions, surely the best thing to do would be just to let that land grow let that land replenish because even if we swap to a vegan diet we're going to have to increase the level of certain fruits and vegetables we produce you know i'm potatoes maybe turnips i'm you know i'm thinking of traditional british mm-hmm. produce you said leeks earlier is something yeah. used to produce so you know in a vegan world we'll probably have to produce more of certain crops and mainly vegetables and fruits but overall the amount of land we'll need to do so will we'll come down so considerably that we can let so much of the agricultural land just just replenish and and do you think that, that would be better for the environment than than rearing animals just for the sake because you can't rear you know you can't produce plants on on that land um i'm not sure because i think animals probably do benefit from a lot of grassland at the minute because you know we don't treat our grass as much as crops are treated and There'd still be wildflowers and still be meadows like cows would drink from water that would lie, you know, in the bottom of the field. And um, there's a whole new movement on hedgerows, you know, in Ireland where mad for hedges. Yeah, right. obviously, like, um, and the, the new way that subsidies are working on farms when we leave the EU are to do with what you do on your farm for the environment. Um, it's just, just could you? I mean, I'm not 100 percent clued in on that. Could you maybe talk a little bit more about what will happen with with subsidies when we leave the European Union? Yeah, so I've only heard a few things. So at the minute, subsidies from the EU are to do with how much land you actually own. Okay, and that is because they see it as you have more land to take care of, you'll get more money. But when we leave, I think we will still get EU subsidies for two years, maybe. Okay. And then it'll come back to whatever the UK sets in place. And at the minute, they're talking about farmers will get more for what they do for the environment on their farm. So let's say you have a field um, of crops. If you grow a wild sort of headland around it yeah. of just wild plants, um, you'll get money You know, if you're planting trees, hedges, um, and all the rest of them. Because there was a farm near us that actually ripped out a load of hedges and they actually got their subsidies cut because they see that as a bad thing. So it's to try push farmers to do more for the environment. 
Well, I mean, of course, that's that seems like a, a good idea. I if, if I interrupted you for something you were going to say, then please do do say it. But another thing with the grass-fed issue is, you know, I think like ninety percent of the animal products we we consume are factory farmed, and of course, the, the levels of factory farming in, in sheep and and beef and and I guess to some degree dairy are significantly reduced compared to chicken and and, and, and pig consumption. Of course, chickens are the, the animals we most by far factory farm and most by far consume. But even if we even if we took it becomes difficult because, of course, you could have grass. I mean, it would have been grass-fed pigs, you know, because that's not what they consume. But you could have outdoor-reared pigs. Yeah. But if we were to outdoor-rear the animals to the same kind of level of, of um, it, it, the same comparable level that grass-fed dairy or da- grass-fed cattle means with pigs and chickens, if seventy percent of the land is already used for agriculture, how how will we meet people's demand that, that currently exists in a system that you're potentially championing with so little land left to utilize you see that is the thing meat consumption and all would have to reduce just as it was yeah it had at the minute it is at astonishing levels because people don't want to eat vegetables people don't want to eat like yeah people go into kfc and just buy meat like there's nothing there and um it is pretty mad like i don't advocate at all Mm. and definitely don't advocate factory farming either um and in order for us to be able to, it would have to go back to the way it was. You know, people would have to drop their meat consumption dramatically. Well, maybe not dramatically, but back to the way it was, like, um, you know, meat and more vegetables and stuff. Yeah. I guess the problem with that would be if we if we then, if, if we drop the supply, you know, the reason animal products are so cheap and you can go into KFC and, and get, you know, chicken burger or whatever at such cheap prices because it's so easy to produce you know, and, and breed and, and, and ultimately kill chickens. Um, but if we if we were to then reduce the amount that we supply because we, we rear them in that way, the price of these products will go up. And it, and it becomes, I guess, somewhat of a, almost a class issue in a sense of when, when you say about going back to the way things used to be, well, that was the people who had money and were wealthy could afford these products and those who couldn't weren't able to. And so for me, part of the issue with that is is it becomes a financially... Um, it it becomes a situation or a system which is which is based purely on people's personal finances, and that that also doesn't. Not that I think it's you know the animals the ones who I think get the the raw deal, of course, in any of these situations. But it, but it also seems fair to that only the rich people can then enjoy the products that you know the poor people would still like to enjoy, but but can't because of the economical factors. Um. Yeah. I guess um, price food prices would rise, but then I would say I would not think a vegan diet is that cheap either. You know, with them bringing out genetically engineered, you know, they're able to grow meat sort of from cells, is it? Oh, lab-grown meat, lab-grown yeah. Lab-grown meat, so yeah. I'm sure that wouldn't be very cheap, you know, when it first comes out. And fruit and vegetables aren't that cheap at off-season. No. And um, so, yeah, I think both ways, food price would increase, but I think if food prices were to increase and we were still farming locally the economy would increase and sort of pay would increase, you know. Yeah. Well, I would hope. Yeah. Would, <laughs> it's challenging, right? And yeah. I guess with the with the fruit and vegetable prices, I mean, lab-grown meat, I don't really advocate, I'm not really that, I don't, mm. it's, I don't like the idea of it. I guess the thing is when, theoretically, it'll be expensive at the beginning, but it'll probably become cheap really quickly because it's just produced without any need for crops and water or, or, or human labor, really, or anything like that. But with fruits and vegetables and, and, and things like that, 
I guess one of the problems that some of these products become more expensive is to do with the fact that subsidies aren't put into healthier, you know, when I say healthier, I mean fruit and vegetable foods. And and so if the, what I would like to see is, you know, as, as meat consumption drops and if, you know, the way that we see the future going, it has to drop, for, you know, in both of our minds, I suppose, the price of it will go up. And the subsidies that we, we were put into animal-based farming, if they were put into arable farming and plant-based farming, it would bring the products, sorry, the price of these products down dramatically. Um, and I think that, that that to me has to be the crux of where we, we look moving forward to make it that, you know, it's not the 99 pence chicken burger that's like seen as the staple of like a cheap person's diet, but actually it's it's the fruits and vegetables and, and, even, and things like blueberries and strawberries, which, you know, are expensive really, like £2.50 for a punnet of strawberries and Sainsbury's is not, I don't think that's good, but we could dramatically bring the price of these foods down if we just reallocated subsidies in a, in a more even if just a more equal way between all types of farming, I feel like animal farmers for some reason get a better deal than, than arable farmers. And I, I don't, I don't, that doesn't strike me as fair anyway. You know, why would I just, I don't know. That's, that's my feelings about it. Um, but yeah, I think environmentally that there's a lot of, there's a lot of kind of different issues at play and, you know, globally, animal farming presents a huge problem. If you look at the US and South America, but one thing I'm really, really cautious of is that, you know, we look, I mean, you've probably heard of cowspiracy, right? Uh -huh. Right. And, and yeah, right. And, and what, what's your opinion on it? Um, I do think it is mainly focused on the big factory farms. Right. And I didn't agree with it, obviously, because um, I'm not for grass, or yeah, big you're factory not, yeah. farms, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think one thing we have to be really careful of is when we advocate something, especially environmentally, but you know, also ethically, that we're not saying, oh, well, you know, these farmers in Britain, you know, they're not the same as Texan cow farmers that are importing soya from Brazil, you know, and I'm not going to hold you personally responsible for soya farming, you know, in the cow farming industry necessarily in, in Brazil. I'm, I mean, I'm sure some soya is exported to this country as well, but at the same time, I think it's really important that we keep the... The, um, the the arguments kind of solidified in, in terms of what's relevant to where we are. And so, you know, in this country, we're looking at, you know, deforestation and woodlands and things like that. We're still looking at methane emissions, you know. So environmentally, there's still issues. And there's been some studies that came out recently that looked at these problems, particularly in the UK, and, and they've been published in, in some really credible journals. Um, one of them was published in a journal called Science. One of them was published in a journal called Nature. And the other was published in The Lancet. And they agreed that the global shift to a plant-based diet was necessary to combat some of the problems of climate change. I mean, have you seen have you seen some of these these studies that have been released? Or? Um, I think I heard of what, the one you were talking about in your BBC interview. I was so yeah, and then but then I was also looking at ones that are complete opposite. Well, okay. saying that the opposite thing, saying that beef. Um, there was one about beef that I was reading this morning. I was having on my phone was talking about how they can't find that that. Like animals are constantly being blamed mm -hmm. for this big, for this big greenhouse gas and this big environment, you know, sort of. But like, when you look at it, at what else we're doing, bar the farming, like a car. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's approximately nine million, nine point nine two million cows in the UK. Mm -hmm. uh, Is that just in the dairy head or in or in the beef? That's in well? both. I think. Both heads, okay. Um, so they're producing. I think it's something like a ton of carbon, 1.2 tons or something per okay. cow a okay. year. So that's somewhere around 10 million tons per year. Whereas a car on average is producing 150 grams of carbon per kilometre and an average of 15,000 kilometres a year. 
That's two tons. Two tons of which which gas are we looking at? Well, that would be carbon dioxide, but methane, um, methane is a bit lower than carbon dioxide, but when it's put into equivalent, the damage it does to greenhouse gas, it's around 10%, just as them. So they say that, that methane has over, a, I think it's over a 10-year period, 86 times the global warming potential of CO2. So methane, from an environmental perspective, is worse than CO2. I mean, we can all agree that, yeah. that driving cars is not is not great. Um, but it doesn't diminish the responsibility that animal agriculture plays. And like I said, there's all the other factors as well, land usage, and, and, you know, and if we equate, and it's, it, it's not just methane for, um, it's not just cows versus cars necessarily. It's the, the argument of for grass fed beef, you have to level potentially forest lands. What trees do best is absorb CO2, release oxygen. So you have to equate that aspect of, well, how much CO2 is, or how much, CO2 is not being absorbed as a consequence of, of clearing acres of land to produce grass-fed beef, for example. Um, so I think there's, there's other factors at play there that don't make it a like-for-like like necessarily. Um, although, I mean, one thing I'm really cautious of with the environmental side of things is not to say veganism is the answer to all of these problems. If everyone was vegan, we could drive big gas guzzlers and consume plastics and, you know, buy clothes from Primark and that. I mean, we've got to address all these things. You know, part of that, as I said before, is where we export fruits and vegetables from. And of course, part of that's travel as well. Um, but I don't think that that diminishes, these other aspects diminish the fact that being vegan is, is the single simplest thing we can do in our lives. I mean, some of us rely on cars, but if we've got Tesco's and Sainsbury's and stuff, we don't rely on on steaks and cheeses you know we don't need brie to live or you know or camembert or red leicester but many of us do need certain other things that contribute negatively to the environment to get to get by what do you think yeah um i do agree that some of the products aren't essential to life but then if you look at what's really essential to life it would just be your basics you know i'm sure you like to eat nice vegan food yeah of course just, right. yeah right but um i think that the agriculture industry is constantly developing new ways for to reduce these emissions. Like it's literally like like for deforestation is very hard. It'd be very hard to get permission without you having to plant again. A certain number, like let's say eighty five percent of what you cut down would have to be replanted, maybe in a different area or along your hedges or whatever if you were making a field. And um nutritionists are also constantly working with animal feeds to to figure out a way to feed cows which allows them to produce less methane yeah with um just with what they're eating but it's it's such it's like short it's like little steps when we could just take one big step and if you know if the united nations reports it to be believed that we have 12 years and like and I, re- I really hope these are dramatic i think there's so much at stake that we kind of have to take them with some seriousness and if that is the case then like little steps just don't seem to, to solve the problem it's time for us to take big action now and and you know planting some hedgerow to make way for the fact that you've cleared forest lands to raise you know methane emitting you know cows that that doesn't seem like a, a good enough compromise to the situation the severity of the situation it's kind of like you know putting a plaster when you've got a big gaping wound it's like a tiny solution for something that's not actually going to help in the long run yeah but i don't think that becoming vegan or the world going vegan or whatever would solve it because like when you look at Things like avocados even coming from California. Yeah. I think it's a whole transport system too. Mm-hmm. And um, grasslands, I do believe, still are necessary. Especially like if you were to take sheep off mountains. You know, grass has four stages of growing. And when it gets to the last stage, it dies, obviously. And then it sort of just rots away in the ground. That's a really long process. Mm-hmm. 
And if we don't have the natural herbivores that we did, you know, if you go back thousands of years, they would naturally roam. And once they've eaten the grass down, they would move to another pasture in these right. big herds of like, buffalo and stuff that yeah, they have yeah. now. Um, no grass would sort of be left because once it dies, it has to rot. No grass can come up until it's fully on, rotted away. And that would be like a year to year process. I do believe that these wild gardens, you know, if you're talking about leaving grass to grow mm-hmm. for, let's say, honeybees. Okay. Um, because I believe that if you were to move to a vegan world, the honeybees would definitely suffer. Because, like, we see plenty of bees around our farm, obviously. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen Food Incorporated. I'm sure you have. Oh, it, I saw it years ago. Years I don't ago. remember it, yeah. but it was one of the first ones I watched. But there's a farmer on it called Joel Salton, and he is very big advocate of what's called the permaculture sort of way right, right. using everything and growing everything but his farm was found to have nine types of honeybee and he was grass feeding everything and um, like if you're to move the crop the amount of chemicals that are going to be used more you are right in saying that we don't have the herbivorous animals we don't have the predatory animals and I think part of that is because we've cleared so much land that we've driven so many animals to the to the point of extinction or even or even beyond that and if we were to allow the land that we don't need which that study that I, I cited in the BBC article yeah. just for anyone who's listening who's not who's not aware of it the study that I cited that that we both kind of referred to was it was a five-year study by the University of Oxford it looked at 40,000 farms in 119 countries and is regarded as um, as being the most comprehensive study ever looking at the relationship between farming and the environment um, and it was published in in this journal called Science and anyway um, it said that globally if, if the world shifted to a plant-based diet we could reduce the amount of um, farmland or sorry agricultural land your know, farmland by 75 percent um, so you know, in the UK, it might not be as high as 75%. You know, it might be higher. I mean, it probably isn't higher. But let's say, even if it's only 50%, that's 50% of land that we don't need anymore that we can just allow to replenish. And, of course, it may take longer for maybe grass to, to go through the natural seasons of, of growing and dying and then becoming fertilizer and, and, and replenishing the soils with those nutrients. But that's still a natural process. And I think we have to hit the reset button. And sometimes it takes a while for that reset to happen, but it's it's important for it to happen just to kind of stabilize that road that we're going down and just maybe bring us to a halt in a way. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't deny again for a second that, you know, there are certain elements of, of what you do in terms of farming that contribute and help in some environmental ways, such as the honeybees, for example. But that doesn't mean it's the only way to help honeybees. And it doesn't mean that that negates all the negatives of it as well. You know, a couple of positives here and there don't, doesn't negate for all the, the huge swaths of, of negatives. Avocados, yeah. Let's not, let's not, let's not ship avocados from Mexico, Peru, and California. I'm, I'm on board for that one as well, by the way. Um, I just think you talk about it as like all these, these couple of positives, but I do but genuinely believe there are, like the positives do outweigh the negatives in um, the way we're moving forward. Like, um, if we did stop breeding cows in existence and um, we stopped using the grasslands, it would be so hard to be allowed to just let them grow. You know, I believe with the growing population, the growing demand for housing and everything, mm-hmm. it would just be turned to building. And we would start, you know, like, if you look at forests and stuff, there's not many forests now that aren't needed to be looking after. No, well, yeah, we need to protect them, yeah. of course. And I believe these grasslands would sort of have to be looked after too by somebody. And it's, well, maybe just by, in the same way that forest lands are protected, you know, there should just be council or even government kind of 
regulations in place that that just mean leave this alone and it doesn't mean that people can't own the land and you know maybe they can be given i think subsidies maybe are given or something is given to some farmers they just leave the land so maybe we just leave it alone and it, the amount of extra housing we'll need still doesn't equal 70% of UK land. You know, I mean, yes, a little bit, but maybe two, three, four percent. But more importantly, with the growing population thing is how are we going to feed even more people with these products? I mean, if we agree that it's not sustainable with factory farming and it's not ethical with factory farming, and therefore the only, in your eyes, ethical ways is to do grass-fed animal products or, out, or completely outdoor reared animal products. And that's, you know, the only way that you believe it for it to be maybe sustainable in, in many ways how do we then feed even more people with a product that we've already agreed has to come down significantly and not worry about prices shooting up and, and all these other issues and the two there comes a point where it just it doesn't seem to add up in my head how we can have more people but produce less products and not have all these other issues with pricing and people being disgruntled surely the world just needs to go towards a plant-based diet even with even with with the way you think as well well I wouldn't say that because I think the same way when I think about the world moving towards a plant-based diet. Like I think yeah, okay. how, how we manage to grow all them crops, how would we have the land, how would we deal with, let's say, a famine, how would we deal with price? You know, it sort of works both ways in my mind. I just believe in a balanced, moderate um, diet. Like, I don't believe in drinking gallons and gallons of milk. No. no. You know, I don't believe in eating tons and tons of meat. I just mean, you know, 70% plant, you know, 30% meat or animal products like um, I do believe there's two sort of extremes and the best way moving forward would just be sort of meat in the middle so would you say that's like a flexitarian style thing and are you a fan of like the flexitarian movement in that way I feel like a betrayal almost to say that um, I, I think it's good to try things okay. you know I wouldn't say you have to meet, meet every day obviously not um, my brother was sort of flexitarian for a while they, okay. they'd have meat once a week and that's still a good way they enjoyed the nutrition and the taste and the health of it and still have a sort of good, you know, it's still helping the environment in a way because you're reducing your consumption of that much meat. Um, but I don't think cutting it out and cutting milk and eggs and it, it all out, I, I just can't see it in a mass scale. Yeah. Really solving the problem. Yeah, well, I would like to, maybe we can move the move it on a little bit, yeah. just so we don't get too hung up with the same thing. But I think, and, and we'll let you respond to this, I don't want to be like, let's move it on, here's my final point. But um, I do think one thing to bear in mind is that because we are producing so many animals, and we, as you say, we have 9 million cows, and a lot of those cows may be grass-fed, some of them won't be, some of them will be fed, um, you know, I mean, a lot of silage, I suppose, which is, yeah, you know, grass, grass exactly. Um, but also we have a lot of animals, and globally especially, that, that are not consuming necessary grass and silage and also are, growing, uh, sorry, are eating things like maize and wheat and barley and soya um, and, and foods that we, that we grow. And so if, if we slaughter, say, conservatively 56 billion land animals in this country, around 1 billion land animals that are all being fed something, you know, the amount of cows and, and, and stuff, the very small percentage of those animals being being killed you know the, the ones that have been killed the most the chickens and the pigs and um are the ones who are factory farmed and fed what we i guess we'd say quote-unquote unnatural foods perhaps um this is why i think even in a vegan world we have plenty of land already and we produce there's enough crop growing land that we can utilize anyway um simply because of the fact that we're having to feed these animals food to begin with and there's also vertical farming i mean have you heard of vertical farming yeah isn't that like 
growing plants and stuff on rooftops and so yeah, yeah, or just in big warehouses and it uses 95% less water. There's no pesticides, herbicides. You don't have to worry about like invasive species or like crop deaths, you know, animals and crop deaths, that, that, that argument as well. That seems like a really good way moving forward. And so maybe that'll be something that in the future is, is kind of great because then we don't have to worry. We, we can use even less land, but produce even more. And then you don't have to worry about, um, you know, air miles or travel miles because you could produce any product you wanted in any country because it's all self-contained within these buildings. So, you know, if, if we're worried about avocados, well, you can grow avocados in a warehouse in London with vertical farming and all of a sudden it's like the best of both worlds. It's almost like having your vegan cake and eating it. And I'm a little bit hesitant to like get too excited about vertical farming, but I do think that's a really great option moving forward. I think definitely with the growing population and the growing demand for food, it, it probably is a good way, but... I wouldn't be so keen on because it's like I'm not a big fan of genetic modified crops or crops that are grown inside. You know, you sort of want them to be getting natural sunlight and natural rain and everything else. And I do agree that it would be hard to do that for the world. That would be my point. Um, but that's why I probably wouldn't be, I think a couple, many, few people like wouldn't be a big keen on their crops being grown inside. Um, and then the argument you have about cows being fed maize and stuff well you know there's only so many products that people that you can make with maize like well maize is actually corn before it, so we can't eat maize but like it, that's why we grow a lot of maize in this country sort of because we can't grow corn right on and um, that well that's why a lot of corn comes from america and mm-hmm. other countries yeah. that are hotter so we harvest it and we feed it to our cows um but the land could be used it could be used for other crops, but then there's only so there's only so much cereals and all that we do feed the cows that people that products you can make from them. Like we don't want to be eating corn constantly. No, <laughs> certainly not. Nor, nor should we advocate for that. But the land is is there to use, and it's not like we have to eat the same products that have been that have been grown on that land necessarily. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're happy to move on, maybe yeah. past the environment, because um, it's it's a fascinating yeah. thing, and I, but I, I know I do worry about talking about it too much. And um, and please, if you've got anything you want to say, like any questions, just button. Like I'm not a friend offended by people being buttoning. Um, but I guess let's go back to maybe what happens on the farm. We talked a little about artificial insemination, yep. um, and I guess the, the 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 process after artificial insemination is there's the pregnancy, the gestation, and then there's the birth and. Uh, as I say, on both farms, the babies are taken from their mothers, mm-hmm. or even on the smaller one as well. Yeah. So they have their colostrum, which is the first feed colostrum, with the yeah. antibodies. Uh, is it co- how do I pronounce it again? Colostrum. Oh, col- or colostrum. Okay. Or okay. Whatever. Whichever way yeah. it is, and um, which is basically the first feed, the first milk, which isn't fit for human consumption, but importantly has all the antibodies mm-hmm. that, the, that the newborn calf needs, and without it, they they will probably you know most often yeah. die. Um, and so after the the first feed, how often, how old are they when they're taken away? 24 to 72 hours? Um, yeah, it depends. On small farms, we're left for about a day or two. And the mm-hmm. new farm, a day, really. So yeah, yeah, yeah so it's pretty, pretty similar. Um, and how do you feel about that? You said that AI, you didn't feel very comfortable about. Yeah. What about what about the separation aspect? Do you, do you like that, I suppose? Um, I suppose it isn't you know the nicest thing when you first are there and you're like oh there's the mother has been taken away but there's a lot of factors playing it like guys these days produce too much milk that one calf could not drink all the milk she has and that is due to selective breeding but that happened it's been happening for years and we can't change that so i would never advocate leaving a dairy cow with her calf because she probably she probably lose her quarters and then she if she was to ever calve again 
there'd be no milk for that calf and she could get sick, she could get ill. I see that now calves tend to get sick very quickly and they do need a lot of sterile conditions and it is necessary to get that colostrum into them. Sometimes, let's say a cow's udder is too low and the calf can't get drinking on it, that's when we have to come in and take the colostrum and then feed it by hand to the calf. Um, and also cows are very careless. Like I've seen cows near stand on their calves or some of them reject them, some of them are aggressive towards them, some of them have no interest. And I suppose it is sad, you know, you think, oh, that's sad, but um, if they're left for too long, that's when they'll really get attached. But the cows, like people say, cows roar out, maybe on certain farms, but on our farm, the cows, maybe it's the breed of them, but they're never too bad. Um, when they, you say too bad, what does that mean? Well, like they might be, they might be, they might be a wee bit odd. You can sort of tell that they're a wee bit off, that something, they sort of know that something's wrong or they know that something's, something's missing. wrong? You say wrong? Well, Sorry to pick your, your yeah, words, but I yeah. think it's important when you say wrong. Yeah, definitely. Wrong or like something's not right to them or something's not funny, but they, they, they don't go on and on and on. It's like one day and they're back to normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it is necessary, I do believe. Necessary in 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 in, 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 in for farms to survive. Necessary for farms and necessary for both of their health. Do you think the fact that we've we, we've selected because we the, you're right in saying that um, you know cows in in farms do have to be milked because we've mm-hmm. selectively bred them to produce so much so much milk. But that doesn't justify the industry. It just proves how far the industry has gone. And so you know, I think the argument of well, you know. Cows have to. It's almost sometimes people say to me, "Oh, the cows walk themselves to the milking parlor," and it's like, "Well, I'm not surprised because they need something." Because I'm sure that 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 must hurt, and it's probably not a very nice sensation needing to be milked in that way. So, the notion of like something doesn't mean they're willing participants in their own exploitation necessarily. It's just it's a means to relieve some suffering. So, I mean, do you mean? Let's go back to that, but I I do want to just focus a little bit more on, on the separation aspect of it. You know, cows are, are are maternal. They form you know matriarchal herds, which is quite unique. You know, we mm-hmm. think about you know male dominance or whatever, but like a female like matriarchal um, herds, and so they are primarily driven by maternal and and herds are, are, are familial, so families, and they they spend the whole lives together. So that family bond is is very strong within a within a uh, a cattle herd, so to speak. Um, and so maybe yes, that the the elements of grieving may not be so um what's the word so obvious as they are in some farms i mean you know in some farms i'm sure they do i mean the gentleman on the podcast last week which i think you said you listened to he said that the cows were a lot more um visibly shaken up on the farms he worked out and you know i'm sure it differs farm to farm depending on, on how it's done when the um when the calves are taken how how does the farmer take the cow? I mean, have you ever taken? Have you? Did you? Do you pick them up? Them. Or do, you, do you do you carry them? Do you drag them with no, the? No. no, we just lift them. Usually, it's not really that far to the calf pen. Um, either lifted or set in like like a trolley. You know, pushed if it's a far distance on the bigger farm. Sometimes we would never drag, or you know, you see some of these intensive farms literally yeah. grabbing them and hanging them, dragging them, and not really giving care. But sort of because you know we want them to be like. You don't want to lose a calf because it's it's money to a farmer. At the end of the day, you know, if you're losing a calf, you're losing money that you could potentially get for that calf, or you're losing, um, you know, it is a product. It's some, it's an animal, and it it is money at the same time. Like if you um, 
if you're dragging a calf about and it gets sick, you're going to have veterinary bills, you're going to have everything. So we try to carry them. That's why we want to separate them, keep them in a sterile environment, ensure they're getting what they need to be healthy and to be okay. You, I mean, so you would say that the reason that you don't drag them is because it, it it's potentially money lost rather than you think that it's wrong to, to do so? Well, it's completely wrong. Like, <laughs> It's not just money. Obviously, like I would never want to hurt an animal. I would never, we don't beat animals. But you, you know. see a paradox. I never want to hurt an animal, but their money to be made and we kill them at the end. We kill them, but I would never want to torture an animal. We take their life quickly. And it is upsetting, but it's something that you, you um, if you're going to eat meat, you have to be able to look the animal in the eye and accept. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard of a, Farmer, um, sort of YouTuber as well from America, Justin Rhodes. I, I think I know the name, but I'm not familiar with his content necessarily. Yeah, he like a homestead sort of thing. Okay, you know, kills his own chickens. Right, um, I, I probably have seen some of his stuff before. and stuff. But like, he would be quite emotional when it comes to having to kill an animal. Mm. That was his, but he would still see it completely justifiable for feeding his family. He, he's self-sustainable. Um. And like some of his videos, he's crying, but he would tell you, you know, why he's doing it and he would completely be able to come to terms with it and everything else. Seems crazy though to do, if it's, I mean, you use the word upsetting. Well, if, if it's, if something is upsetting, for me that, that signals that there's something not right there. You know, if, if, for me, if something was a necessity and, and it was morally justifiable, I I wouldn't find it upsetting necessarily, but I find it's an interesting word. And the fact that he cries, I mean, yeah. just just don't do it. You know, like we have sanctuaries. Just why do you use the word upsetting? Um, because death isn't happy. You know, it's true. It's not a happy thing, but I don't think we can. Um, but not happy for for us or for the animal who who is for both. Sort of, you know, it's a necessity for survival. I don't think life is possible without death. Of course not. No, yeah, and. You know, even with animals, when you look at them, they're hardly happy when they kill. They they know they have to, and they do it. And um, I know that it's a good product, and I obviously believe in the environmental, obviously not factory farming, but I believe in, and I believe they're killed in the most least brutal way. But you say least, uh, this is another thing, least brutal. It's so it's, but there's still an, almost a, an acknowledgement that it is brutal. It's just it could be worse, and just because something could be worse doesn't mean that it's it's moral or acceptable as it is. Yeah, but you know, stunning and killing, and um, you know, it's like putting the car to sleep. But, then, but even even I think. I, I feel that's a little bit disingenuous in the sense of we know that you know they're putting these trucks in trailers and they're taken to a slaughterhouse and you know and, and they're putting these little the stun pens right. I mean, if, mm-hmm. if you've been in a, a yeah, slaughterhouse, right. okay, um, so that you know they're putting those stun boxes and then you know the bolt will put in the head and that process is terrifying for them. And even if it is when the bolt's in, maybe yeah. that's the last thing of life they have. But up until that point, and and even and even if we take the best case scenario, it's all it's it's lovely and. You know, the farmer just gently cradles the animal as, as they pass on, you know, to wherever they go next. But we, we, they still have value in their life and would still rather live their life than, than be killed. Don't you, do, or do you disagree? I mean, surely, like, if, if they were granted a choice and that choice was being killed, you know, 
you're right in saying that death is just as much a part of life as anything else. And in fact, death is so important to life. I mean, everything and everyone must die. I mean, of course, but that fact alone doesn't justify taking life in the sense of that doesn't justify us killing each other or even killing, you know, a lion in the wild or a dolphin in the ocean or a dog on the street. We can't justify murder of humans or, or murder of animals by saying, well, they will one day die and everything needs to, and everyone needs to die. Yes, but then I wouldn't look at an animal in the same way I would look at me or you. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't place them on that high pedestal. I'm not. I wouldn't call myself an animal worshiper or anything. I, you know, <laughs> but you don't need to. You, yeah. you can still acknowledge in your eyes that humans are, are are a different level to other animals, but that doesn't justify taking their life. But for for us to eat and for us to get that nutritional product, I think it does justify. Even if we don't have to, but um, it's the easiest and obviously the way I think the most environmental friendly way. When we say easiest, I mean, you've got to, you know, we talked earlier about how like it's, it can be dangerous working with cows. You know, we've got to breed them in, we've got to spend money, we've got to take land, it takes time. We're, so when we're talking about ease, I mean, it's probably a lot easier just to just to grow some, you know, some crops so that they don't have the worry, that don't need the veterinary bills or the antibiotics or any of these issues. So when we talk about ease, it's probably one of the hardest ways of getting our nutrients. Well, I would disagree again because, like, That's okay. crops are, I think, harder sometimes. You know, animals obviously. Um, I think they sort of they do a lot of the work themselves. Wherever the crop you're, you know, an animal grows. Wherever the crop you're, constantly watching, you're constantly growing it. An animal, they take these nutrients from the grass. They can convert them into you know things that we can't make ourselves, and that's where we get them. You know, we can get it from the animals. And, like, we can't eat grass. You know, a lot of people would say... No, but we can eat other plants. Yeah, but, um, like, I know a lot of people would think that animals' products high in cholesterol, but then there's two mm. different types of cholesterol. Yeah, um, the good and the bad. The good, good the bad. that we produce and the bad that, that But we actually us. need cholesterol from animals because if you're eating an, an animal-based diet, your body... It makes as much cholesterol as it needs to due to your diet. So if you were to cut all that out, we also get dietary cholesterol from animals. And, you know, like when I was talking to Christina at that debate. Oh, just to read the context, um, Ryan saw an AV in, in Belfast as an activist that I know called Christina and he had a big on conversation with her. Sorry, carry on. She would say to me, egg yolks are filled with cholesterol, but they're actually filled with high density lipoprotein cholesterol, which is actually beneficial to us. But when vegan activists would say that to some member of the public, they would just think cholesterol bad, don't want it. I think that's sort of where false facts can get spread. And um, I do believe that, you know, animal meat is a good nutritional product that can outweigh some things that we can get from plants and that can be a better way for our bodies to absorb it. I mean, the, the, the issue, I guess, with, with the thing about cholesterol is, you know, as we established our body does produce cholesterol and we and, and through what we eat in our lifestyles we can help our body produce more cholesterol less cholesterol but dietary cholesterol it, it does cause a whole host of health problems including atherosclerosis our number one killer and things like that and so you know consuming maybe a few of these products isn't going to cause a whole host of health problems but a continuation of doing so leads to a build-up of all these things that that our body doesn't need and you know what is it um, I, I'm very conscious of moving back to where we were, so I'm going to keep that in yeah. my mind. But I also don't want to, like, you know, skip past your yeah. points as well. What is it that say um, that, that cholesterol from animal products? What does it do that benefits our body? What, like, in, in what sense does it help? 
Well, cholesterol from animals is still cholesterol is needed. Most cells, the walls of them are sort of all contain cholesterol. Um, yep. Um, HDL cholesterol takes LDL cholesterol away from the blood, which is bad cholesterol, which we can get from a whole host of foods. Um, and that's why HDL cholesterol is needed. And then also cholesterol is obviously needed in the body, very importantly. But um, yeah. but why why does our body, why is the, the cholesterol that our body produces um, naturally, why does that not suffice in the sense of why do we need to have, have more cholesterol when our body is already attuned to producing the cholesterol we need for, for cell maintenance and, and for other you know, um, circulatory or, or biological purposes? It's probably due to why we needed to eat meat in the first place. You know, why are we, we are built to eat meat. But why did we need to eat meat in the first place? What, what do you think the reasoning for that would be? We were made as omnivores. I don't really like. Well, I mean, like, I think if we look for our history, we, we evolved. I mean, I mean, I, I don't know about your um, yeah. religious beliefs, but if we take like an evolutionary thing, yeah. so we evolved from from primates who ate predominantly plant based, if not entirely plant based. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know some some primates will have um, they'll scavenge maybe or have or termites and insects, but we evolved from predominantly plant based diet and. The the evolution of consuming meat came during I think it was like the Stone Age or the Ice Age, basically in a time of food scarcity, and so we survived for a long time on, on plant based sources, and then the, the inclusion of, of animal flesh came at a time more of necessity to get calorie dense foods during maybe colder seasons or or from um, times where there wasn't the abundance of plants due to environmental you know changes and such, and so our body wasn't. If our body was needed these products, then we'd have always had to have consumed them from kind of our you know, early biological forms, so to speak. I mean, yes, our brains evolved, but our digestive tracts have, have not really changed, and the makeup and, and physiological um, construction of our body is not necessarily changed. Yes, but then it's sort of hard to know if that is really what happens. You know, it's all up in the air. Okay, I mean, all right. Yeah, okay, so let's, if we kind of, if, if you're happy to maybe take it back to where we were. Yeah. Okay, cool. So we were at separation of cows and we were talking a little bit about slaughterhouses. Uh-huh. Um, and so, you know, treat me as like a layman. You've been in an abattoir before. Take me through the process of what happened. So you've been on the farm, the cows have been loaded in, into the trailer or the truck. Yeah. They've been driven to the abattoir. So, so now take me through that process. So they're offloaded off into holding pens or wherever they're, maybe if they're going straight to slaughter and they're in holding pens. And then they're brought through, and then the whole process of stunning them, and then um, and describe that process. Yeah, uh, they're just put into like sort of similar to what we'd use to um, process them, as in like if they need injections or whatever. Like it's like a what you call a crush, but when you say crush, people go you're crushing them, but you're not. It just sort of stops them from moving. A metal cage of yeah. sorts. Um, and then they're just stunned on the head. And how are they stunned? It's like prongs, isn't it? Um, for cows, that, it's cows. It's not. Yeah. It's always a bolt with a cow. I think I don't think they can use electricity. No. Because sheep, it's normally electricity. Yeah. Pigs, they, it's normally electricity, um, or they gassed, of course. But with cows, it'll always be the bolt gun. Bolt guns just straight through the front of the head into the into the skull yeah. um, to render them unconscious. Um, the 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 metal cage, so to speak, opens up. They come they down come and then they're shackled up. by the legs yeah. onto the the bleeding line or the hanging line, and then the the term would be stuck, I guess, right? But mm-hmm. what that means is their throats are cut, mm-hmm. or that you know there's a laceration placed mm-hmm. on their throats, and then you know that they, they bleed out. Um, yeah, that's that's the process. Yep. Does that we say we said before least brutal, and then, and so what would be kind of a uh, you know um, we, I guess the word is humane, isn't it? Do you believe that that's that that's humane that process? Um, I believe humane's 
thrown all around. Like people say, how can it be humane to kill an animal? But humane came, came about from things that we do, you know, like killing, but in the easiest way. Like humane isn't, I think that the, like if you say a humane way to kill somebody, it'd be quick and painless. But it would also be, um, it would also be in their best interest. Well, I'd say if they were, if you asked an animal, what way do you want to be killed? They would want it to be, you know. But I mean, by best interest, I mean like if you were suffering, you know, like a a euthanasia for a dog, you know, I would consider euthanasia to be humane because it's in the animal's best interest. But I don't think we could argue that it's in the cow's best interest to be bolted in the head and then, you know, blade across the throat when they're like 18 to two two years or in dairies, you know, they can live, you know, maybe 14 years longer than, than... maybe they do would you say that it's in the in the cow's best interest or in the animal's best interest what happens in a slaughterhouse um no but it is producing food like if that's if we better how can we place the word humane then i mean the word humane is applied to these situations i think it probably comes from like human humanity like almost like you know where's your humanity is almost like where's your compassion where's your benevolence which interestingly are two synonyms for for humane benevolence and compassion so when we say like where's your humanity it's almost like where is your humaneness and so in the sense of killing animals would you say that that to take the life of an animal is is compassionate or benevolent um, it's compassionate in I wouldn't say it's compassionate in the actual act of killing them humane is sort of thrown around I don't use it that much um, so you don't think the slaughter's humane? maybe wouldn't use the humane what word would you use for the slaughter? just least discomfort they try like it's constantly changing slaughter rules and they're constantly bringing in new things and everything else and a lot of people are advocating for like um, no halal or you know things like that because of the brutality of it um but I, I would just say like it's just the easiest and quickest way for them you know try and make it the least painful least distressing least discomfortable process but it's this word least all the time isn't it because killing someone is gonna be it's it's not gonna be the nicest thing so you have you know you can't say oh it's gonna be it's you gonna be really good yeah, I appreciate your honesty. You yeah. use the word someone. Now, up until this point, you've used it to describe animals. In this yeah. moment, you use the word someone. Do you think that animals are someones, so to speak? Um, I wouldn't see them as in a person, obviously, but they all are different. You know, I wouldn't see an animal as a thing. I do see it as a being. Um, you know, we care for animals like no other, you know. I'd be scratching them and petting them and everything else. So it is very hard. Obviously, I'm not directly in the beef industry, but I have... I'd see cows put down or cows be killed, and it is hard. Um, but you do, we do accept it because um, you know we know what they're used for, and we know what what we use them for. You know, yeah. I I, I actually really appreciate using the word someone. I, I, one of the things that annoys me sometimes, I have discussions, and I don't know, maybe maybe you've seen them where people will will ardently tell me that animals are not individuals and they don't have personalities and they don't have like likes and dislikes and i think part of that is maybe to make it a little bit more easy on the conscience if we just mm-hmm. group them all as it, it, these are cows and they are all the same and we put a number in their ear just because that's all they are you know then their number and so i, I actually am admire you for saying that because i think it shows there's a little bit more of a maybe i know i don't want to use the word awareness it sounds almost patronizing i don't i'm not trying to patronize you in that sense but i appreciate you saying yeah. that um although i uh, but to me it also makes it a little bit more uncomfortable because the acknowledgement of them being yeah. individuals then for me makes the death even even less palatable yeah. because 
it's not just a grouping of this kind of very plain and ordinary species of animal that we just out that's their purpose you know this is oh this cow was different to the cow before and the cow that's about to have the bolt in the head is different to the cow who's hung up on the line bleeding to death um do you think that the 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 recognition of them as being individuals makes the act of what happens to them less or more palatable to you um i wouldn't use the word palatable like it doesn't make it any less less right or wrong in a sort of sense, because um, obviously I believe that it is right, maybe not right as in what the animals will want, but right in what is best for us. Um, people ask me, how can you name a cow? You know, Do you na- name um, the cows? Sorry to interrupt. Some of them, yeah. Okay. I have names um, for the ones that would really stand out. You know, I've named them and stuff. Um, stand out? What do you mean by stand out? Just be really different, you know? You just, like, a lot. Of, some cows are just, they're not, Obviously, you recognize them as being a different cow, but they just are very, just get on with it and understand. But some cows are just, like, trouble. Trouble. You know? In what sense are they trouble? Like, cheeky, mischievous. Yeah. Or just really friendly. Some cows would run away from you if you come near them. Some cows would be coming up to you. Um, there's one guy, if, if he's behind you, would headbutt you while you're walking. And it's a nightmare. But, um, I can imagine. Yeah. But um, people say, how, can, how could you? Um, now obviously our dairy cows aren't killed all the time um, mm-hmm. so it sort of would make it easy in that sense I've never really been with a beef herd and been naming them and everything else but I do think I would still be able to deal with it because of what we do get from them And yeah, You said making it easier so do you think the process of if you made a connection with an animal like they were a bit friendlier or you were able to give them like a you know little rubs and you know whatever it is that you do with those animals that you make more of a connection with on the farm, is the concept of waving them off at the truck as they're taken to the abattoir, is that a difficult process? Do you ever feel guilty or upset or you just get back on with your day, you've got a job to do and that's that? No, it is um, a tough process. You know, it's not easy. I know farmers that would have, let's say they have a herd of cows that are coming up to kill and they have it on the calendar and they they would be up all night sort of thinking about it or not up all night beating themselves up or anything but they would be sort of you know you do people say oh you just you just you don't even think of it as an animal but a lot of farmers they love their animals and they do really build connections and it is hard but they um they know what you, they you have to keep in mind what the end product or you know what the animal will come to in your head and what sort of good it is yes, I find that for me I find that it, it breaks my heart and yeah. I think one issue I, that I'm I'm always really you know really concerned about is sometimes this idea that farmers must just inherently be evil and just have a complete yeah. disregard for animal life and stuff and I don't I don't think that that paints a very fair picture but it kind of breaks my heart because I feel like there's this there's this there's this strange tussle going on where it's like I really like these animals or I've grown a connection with this particular herd or this particular individual but I'm, I'm, I, it's almost like you're, they have this they feel and I don't, I don't know if you feel the same like there's an obligation I've got to do this this is my job this is what has to be done therefore like I can't let these emotions get the better of me and it's like there's nothing wrong with thinking you know if you're up all night you know or you're, you're thinking oh I really like this animal then they don't have to die, you know. They, they they don't have to die. That's the that's for me is the the bottom line in this scenario. And if they did, it would be it'd be different. But for me, it's just I can't I can't come to terms with it. I saw, you know I think about people have have pets and their dogs and in that pro, that moment where they've been euthanized and because they love the dog, it's so heartbreaking. It's like losing a family member. 
and you know maybe there's not quite the connection with farmers and their animals but there must be some part of that connection where it's like these cows have been part of my life for maybe even years right but on this one morning or this one evening or whenever that truck comes up all of all of that time we spent together the years potentially all leads up to this one moment where they're put in this trailer and then within hours they're going to be dead and they don't have to be you see, you believe that they don't have to be vegans. We believe they don't have to, whereas we would believe they do have to be in order to feed people because we don't mm. believe in the vegan world being sustainable. If it could be proven, right? Say, you know, obviously I'm not, I'm not necessarily yeah. going to prove, prove this to you today. Yeah. If it could be proven, right, without a shadow of a doubt in your mind mm-hmm. that it, it, is, it could be sustainable and it is also healthy to be uh-huh. vegan, would you stop then? You know, if, if if those those doubts could be taken away from you, what would then encourage you to keep doing farming? If I, we were told, you know, veganism without a shadow of a doubt, it's been proven everything. I probably probably would. Or I think more people would. Uh, me myself. Um, in some aspects, you know, with killing animals, maybe, mm-hmm. but with products like milk and eggs. I might, wouldn't be so inclined to just stop because obviously I believe the milk is very nutritious and everything else. Mm-hmm. But probably with the killing aspect, if everything was proven, and I, you know, I don't have the facts that obviously I believe, but you know, it's all yeah. up in the air because the way I look at veganism sometimes is that it's quite new. You know, I think as a as a, a Western idea it is, but I think that you know people have been abstaining from eating animal products for, for years, and, and often people in impoverished areas don't eat animals out of necessity. Yeah, but, but please, yeah, carry yeah. on. Um, and then you know you sort of like a generations come by, like my granny, who's been eating meat since mm-hmm. she was young, and she's lived till you know. And it's hard to be so willing to something that cuts out so much when you do have all this in front of you, and you do have all the facts for. You know, it's hard to believe all these new studies that are coming up and everything else. And, you know, it's hard to believe studies sometimes because... Yes. We should always scrutinize studies, yeah, vegan exactly. or non-vegan. If, if you're a vegan listening, don't just take something on face value because yeah. it's vegan, you know. And um, I, I, I agree with you with challenging those studies. Um, but at the same time, those studies are, are emerging. And, and, and regardless of what the study is, there's always going to be a moment where the studies are new. And for, I mean, for decades, we've had studies related to, you know, plant-based you know, foods, the environmental stuff, not so much. How, 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 how much will it take? You know, what, what would that study, you know, cause I, I there's some of the environmental ones I quoted have been published, you know, in, in the most credible scientific journals in the world. And they know that they are considered to be the most comprehensive and they've got years of backing behind them. And there isn't necessarily, there, there isn't industry funding. It's not the vegan society dishing mm. out, you know, millions of pounds to get these studies completed. Like sometimes happens with animal agriculture, you know, where the beef industry or the egg industry will pay for studies. Yeah. I, 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 there probably isn't an answer to this. It's probably not fair for me to ask this, but at what point do you then say, you know, okay, this is this comprehensive study. It's in this journal. Perhaps I should listen. What, what, there isn't, there isn't really an answer to this. My yeah, question yeah. was going to be, what does it have to show? But yeah. you can't answer that, so that's not fair for me to, for me to ask you. Um, okay, so let's kind of edge back. We were talking about like naming animals and mm-hmm. and that, and you said that it, it was challenging, it was hard. And what, what do you think of? Have you heard of that farmer Jay Wild? He was in that seventy three cows. The BAFTA recently just won a BAFTA. Oh, I heard about it in your last the podcast, that, but I've never. Okay. So the story is he was a cattle farmer. I think he was just cattle, maybe dairy, but I think it was just beef, beef farming. 
Um, and one day he had a change of heart and he donated all his cows to Hillside Animal Sanctuary. A story like that, does it make you think, oh, that's a nice thing? Or does it make you think that's a betrayal of farming? What, how does that make you feel? It's not a betrayal of farming because I think everyone has a choice. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they can make that choice educated, whatever they want to believe in. Um, and he made that choice. And obviously then there's the happy ending. The guys get to live the rest of their life. Happy ending. You know. But to the public eye, it would be happy. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, yes. they'd all see it as guys get to live happy. Um, and that's what he want to do. But I wouldn't say, you know, oh, he's done an amazing thing. We should do the same. Or everyone else should do the same. I wouldn't sort of think that way. Okay. Um, because I do obviously believe in eating meat and mm-hmm. animal products. Do you understand maybe the the part of him that encouraged him to do it? Do you think, oh, I, you know, I can understand how he got to that point or I understand the mechanisms or the, the mindset that brought him to that decision? Um, Sort of. It's a quite a rash thing to do. You know, someone that you've built your whole livelihood up to yes. then settle off. So I think he would have to be in, you know, I would never sort of see eye to eye with doing that sort of mass thing. He obviously had quite, you know, he was obviously quite certain on doing it. So, yeah. Yeah, he was. With, um, with the calves, before we get to the end of that, I kind of want to work through each process. Yeah. And so um, if you, you've, you've picked the calf up yourself, mm-hmm. taken them away from the mother. And, and the first time you did that, um, you might have alluded to earlier, but the first time you did that, did, was there something in your head that said, oh, I don't know if I like this or, or anything like that? Um, sort of, you know, from watching Farm and Fridges, I knew that it was a process. You know, some people don't. Yes, When you say true. people, they're like, calves get taken away. Um. There was never really any real, real guilt because obviously before I ever did it, I was obsessed with farming, constantly researching and everything else and reading up things. And I did see, deem it right when I, when I did first start helping out and stuff. But then you see there's other things. There was a farm in America, a couple of farms in America that started um, working on the calves would be with the cows during the day, mm-hmm. taken away at night, and the cows would only be milked in the morning. Okay. Obviously, they're not producing as much, but then it's stopping the whole calf separation, and it would that would be if we were to stop consuming as much dairy as we were. Yeah, that would be a, a way we could go. Um, it was a smaller sort of farm, but basically they were just taken away at night. Cows milked in the morning, so they produced the twelve hours to what they give in the morning, mm-hmm. and then during the day, the calves are with her, which I thought was a, was a good way, but would only be possible on a mass scale if we were to reduce. Yeah. And it would be like tricky, inconvenient almost, I guess, the the process of taking the cows back and forth. It'd be a bit more work, but he didn't seem like cows and calves were sort of able to sort themselves out when they put them into the field, whose was whose. But um, I think if you were to take a dairy cow to a sanctuary, you'd have to do something similar, sort of. Like, how would a next dairy cow or a dairy cow, let's say vegans took a dairy cow to an animal sanctuary? Mm hmm. What do they do with her milk, or do they milk her, or what do they... Well, she'll dry, so what so, What will happen is, at the beginning, they'll milk her, mm-hmm. um, because they have to, and then when she when she dries, they just don't re-impregnate her again. But at the beginning, of course, if, if she's, you know, if she's still, you know, producing milk, then, of course, they have to, they have to take that milk. And so do they, um, she's just with no bill or anything, so she can't get pregnant again, or anything, she's just with other... Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of examples where there would be a bull. I mean, I don't think... 
Mm. I don't think I've ever been around a sanctuary where there's the bulls with with the female cows, or if, or if they if there are, they will be castrated probably. Mm. So I think one thing that sometimes happens is if animals are brought into sanctuaries and um, they are still they still have their testicles, or they'll be castrated to to avoid those problems, and that would be done on like a welfare ground of like it's not you know it, it needs to be done for that for the animal safety and for the other safety of the animals you know bulls or any or even you know rams you know animals cockerels my goodness are pretty yeah. vicious at times so any any male animal interestingly enough who has you know who is sexually allured by the females yeah. around you know can be a danger so sometimes it's done on those grounds so you believe it's okay to neuter or castrate animals in times without of, their consent in times of necessity i i, I know what you're alluding to yeah. because we're talking about maybe the castration of say sheep in in farms mm. i think what the thing about sanctuaries is they're trying to make the best out of a bad situation and so it's 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 not something that we want to have in the future but if the option is the animal goes to a slaughterhouse or the animal gets to live life in a sanctuary and is castrated as a result of that 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 um and, and we can use the word mutilation mm-hmm. because it is a mutilation that mutilation would therefore be morally justifiable because it has the animal's best interest at heart. But an animal that's bred into existence therefore then has to go through mutilations like tail docking or disbudding or castration to then just be used and then killed. Those those mutilations, you know, then they're, they're not justified because of the whole lifespan, not lifespan, but the whole um, reasoning behind it and the purpose behind that. It's not. It's not. I mean, farmers will argue that some of these things like tail docking, you know. Um, tail docking is an interesting one but let's say um, disbudding are done with the interest of the animals but it's not necessarily true it makes the farming processes easier and a lot of these mutilations are done to make the processes easier and sometimes more profitable not just to help animals with certain farming problems yeah. so to speak and what do you think about that because you know you, in your head you might think well that's a bit hypocritical yeah sometimes I would think that like you would be completely fine with dogs and all being neutered. I think they have to be. I mean, yeah. we have a, a huge issue with animals in shelters, yeah. homeless animals, animals on the street. Globally, it's horrific. In the UK, it's, you know, animals in shelters is a big problem. So I think we have responsibilities to neuter these animals because there's so many being euthanized and put down every single day. That For me, that's a really heartbreaking thing. And again, it's one of those things where it, it is a mutilation and it's done without consent. And I'm sure like, you know, a male animal probably wants to have that sexual urge and we take that from them. And, and of course on, on, on paper, that doesn't sound good, but in the context of what it prevents or what it helps, then it becomes a justifiable act. You know, if I was to breed a dog into existence, new to them because I wanted to, to reduce their, uh, their aggression and stuff just so I could keep them in a pen and then kill them. Well, that wouldn't be justifiable. But in the context of we need to reduce the population sizes, we have animals being euthanized, it, it does become justifiable. That's what I think. Yeah. What do you think? Um, you see, you would obviously always look at the animals, best interest. Um, no, no. If, if, it was, if it was proven a necessity, I mean, this, is, this becomes tricky, yeah. but if, like, if, I mean, people often point at like, you know, Eskimos, for example. Uh-huh. You know, I'm not going to point the finger at them necessarily. It, the idea of necessity is, is what I think is, is most pertinent. But in a situation where we don't have to harm animals, then their best interests are that come into play. But, you know, if you were dying and you needed to eat a piece of, you know, cow to survive, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be like, no, you know, because I think that, that in times of necessity, the things become morally justifiable. For example, there was a plane crash and I think it was in the Andes, humans, of course, 
obviously plane crash. And, um, right, and so some of them survived, but the only way they survived was because they cannibalized and ate humans, the other humans who had died. It doesn't justify cannibalism, but in the time of necessity, it became a morally justifiable act to eat their friends, you know? Yeah. But it wouldn't, it wouldn't justify me, you know, eating my friend, right? You know? yeah. So that's, that's, so yes, I, I wouldn't always put the animal's best interest, but in a situation like this, because we can, we should, I think. But you see, that's when a lot of farmers sort of do see it as morally justified because they do believe we need to eat meat and we need to consume animal products in order to be healthy and live a long life. So the whole sort of moral side doesn't play on their mind as much because mm-hmm. they, they do deem it morally justifiable. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and that's that, I think that is the crux, that the crux of it, right? They see it as an act that is necessary, whereas we believe that it's... Well, I, I, I don't want to consent, but we know that it's not. That's not, and you're going to say, "Well, that's that's not yeah. true." But I have to say that because of you know your views, yeah. exactly. And for me, if I say believe, it does an injustice to what is true. Um, but again, that sounds like I'm being condescending. And I really don't mean to be that way. Um, okay, so um, you've separated the calf, so you take the calf. Mm-hmm. Out of interest, how many calf separations did it take before you just did it without thinking? Before you just could go into the pen, pick them up, and walk off? Three, four, five. How, mm-hmm. how, how many do you think it was? I'm not sure. You know, I know vegans throw the word desensitize a lot, you know, that people become used to it and then they can keep doing it. I do believe that's true, but I always do think about it. Never in that bad way, you know, let's say this this cow's being reared to go back into the herd. I'm always like, oh, you'll see her soon. Or, you know, um, they no, probably... So you, talk to the, you, you talk to the yeah. cow and, and almost like to reassure yeah. them. Give them a pet and everything else. And um, they probably wouldn't, they probably won't, have the same connection when they're back in the herd or whatever but mm. um you know i'd always just say oh we'll keep her safe or whatever you know um but but, it, but you won't keep her safe you'll send them you'll, you'll kill her in the long run but we'll give them the best life we can up until but you the killing. But that's not the best life they think we the best life isn't isn't that the best life is you know a life where they're not artificially inseminated where they don't have their babies taken away from them, whether their destiny isn't to be a product and it's, you know, something on a shelf. So you, you, you don't have their safety. You have, you have the, the purpose of farming, the product at the end, and the money to be obtained. That's the goal, not safety. But, you know, farmers aren't just money-driven because if they were, they wouldn't farm. You know, no, well, they, they, yeah. farming isn't that big a profitable business, as much as people say. Right, right, right. right. So... You know, but it's I, a family thing as well sometimes, right? Yeah, it's like a heritage, a it tradition is an to them. And that's why I think a lot of farmers get so defensive. You're attacking their yeah. history. Yes. And they're coming back with like, they just don't want to hear it, especially the scrutiny put under. Like I know in the farming community now, veganism is a big topic, whereas years ago, wouldn't have bothered. Um, but it's definitely a big threat and um, to our businesses. But, you know, we do believe it's morally right, so we don't see when we're keeping them safe our goal is to give them as good a life up until the point of killing and then enjoy what they give us, the products. You know, you can make many things. A lot of things are wasted nowadays, but yeah. if, if we did use everything, which some places still do, mm-hmm. you know, people don't eat liver that much anymore. I, I, I always hated liver. I, I don't mind it that much, and it is very nutritionally dense um, because of what it does in the body, um, but people don't eat it that much. Um, anymore because of that whole barrier between an animal and what's on their plate. Interesting, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's probably what ruined the industry. (laughs) Maybe so. When you say ruin the industry, what do you mean? What what, what does that mean? Um, The fact that some things that happen on farms would shock someone. 
you know, somebody that didn't yeah. know and the fact yeah. that people these days aren't educated enough on where their food comes from. So would you, would you, I mean, you wouldn't say this, but if you're saying like, because what, what happens on farms and, and you use the word ruining the industry, do you, what I perceive that to mean is the truth is what's ruining the industry because you say, well, people are realizing, oh, that liver came from an animal or they under, they hear about something that, that, that happens on the farm they didn't know about, which is just true. So when you say that to me, what I think of is the truth is ruining the industry. Well, I wouldn't, I obviously wouldn't say it that way. I say it's that people these days are brought up so no danger, no nothing, you know, mm-hmm. so consumed, never put out their, um, like almost, never defend for themselves. And then when they do hear these things, people are a lot more emotional these days. People take offense to a lot more people. <laughs> yeah. You know, I know I agree. And I think that offense culture is, is quite dangerous. Yeah. But at the same time, what I think that does mean is that society has changed to the point where we can take more emotional standpoints. Whereas before we had to be, it's, it's not about being callous, but we had to do what we had to do to survive. But now because we live in a, in a more, um, I don't know what the word is, but a different world to how we used to. We now have the liberty to take emotional, have an emotional um, feeling towards these things that before we weren't afforded that chance to. So maybe it's more like that 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 is actually um, symbolic of the fact that society is changing to find issues that we didn't used to be concerned about, issues that we now should be concerned about, which is why for me, veganism is, is becoming a moral issue because we can we can allow it to be a moral issue now, whereas 500 years ago, of course, it, it was a different world. So maybe that fact in itself is is, is, is emblem symbolic of the fact that society is, is is changing maybe it's not a bad thing it's progress or a shift um yeah it definitely is changing in many ways obviously but yeah. you know i still believe in all farmers believe in what a great product mm-hmm. a product yeah um, uh, do you think we, we're talking about farmers have heritage families these 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 kind of ideas right do you think that creates a bias you know, to the point where, so as a vegan, right, I, growing up, I used to, I thought British farming, you know, and I still do believe in British farming, just, you know, plant farming, yeah. you know, I, but I thought the whole, like, farmers love their animals. I was in that idea and then I came out of that idea to the point where I'm at now. But I, I guess what I'm saying is that there was no real bias. I mean, I didn't want to be vegan, you know, yeah. I, I really didn't want to be vegan at all. I'd love to just, you know, I'd love to have not done love to have not found reasons to have to do that so to speak but at the same time because farmers you're 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 unique in that sense yeah but most farmers because they're raised you know it's and it's the family's tradition and they don't want to let dad and, and mom down and they want to make sure they pass it on to their children do you think that creates a bias where they won't allow the possibility that what they're doing is wrong or isn't healthy or sustainable they're just so embedded in the industry they cannot let the other idea enter their conscious because to do so threatens not just their money but their family and their traditions and heritages i'd say for a lot of farmers that probably is one of the reasons you know but then obviously i'm different and i know a lot of people out there that didn't come from farms and did get into farming and uh, you know don't do morally justify what they do um so it is but you know a lot of farms are a family but that's slowly dropping it is yes you know they're trying to find new people to come into the farming industry because people don't want to do it because it is such grilling work sometimes and yeah. it is intense you know 365 days a year really yeah you don't get the holidays in the same no. you know um okay so you, you pick the calves up. Where do the calves go now? You, you carry them away. Where, where's their uh, next destination? The calf shed. So we have like a wee shed for calves. And on, on, on the small one and the big one is are the sheds, are they um, group housing or are they solitary? Um, on the on the big one, 
they're solitary for the first two weeks and yep. then they're in group in the other one they're just grouped just grouped and what do you think about solitary I mean it's eight weeks is the legal allow allowance I think in the UK you for see, solitary I think so it might, it's either six or eight yep. um, what do you think about two weeks of solitary what, what is it to, sorry I keep saying loads of things mm-hmm. what is the purpose of the solitary and do you think that it's uh, ethical um, solitary main purpose is hygiene and to be honest calves can really annoy other calves when they like they just suck at different parts of them um, and like yesterday I was feeding calves and one of them was just giving the other one a thumping on I think it just sort of and they were quite young and I think it just sort of it's a lot cleaner sort of gets them onto the milk gets them sort of growing a bit so that they're not the, the small one in the in the majority and then when you can put them all together they're sort of can fight for themselves or you know they can you know when you talk about solitary it's hardly like they're away in a room on their own they can see other calves they just can't touch them you know and it depends on solitary it's just beside each other and um it is really for the best interest of hygiene because if you have other calves sucking and everything else on them then it will lead to problems why do they suckle yeah, um, because they're mad for milk. Because they because it's an, they want to suckle from yeah. the mum, right? So uh, and so, what do you feed them? Because they're not getting the mum's milk. What what do they get as a as a food replacement? So they get the mum's milk for the first three days, okay. um, or four maybe, just um, out of the parlour and then in the bottle, and then it's on to calf replacement milk. Say that again, sir. Uh, calf replacement milk. It's oh, like, calf replacement milk. Yeah. yeah okay. So it's just like powdered hot water, yeah. um, just like you'd feed a baby if you weren't breastfeeding. Yeah. yeah. And um, then they get put on to. Um, might be in a month's time if we still have them obviously um, like wheat grains obviously we bit of meal yeah. and they eat a wee bit of straw and yeah. stuff like that yeah um, so um, so yeah the, um, the cows are in the solitary confinement pens and so in, in your big, in the big dairy farm you work on it's two weeks and then they moved into group mm-hmm. housing um, and then they're in group housing until when's their first is it 18 months when they have their first cycle of impregnation um, yeah I've never be, I've never really followed a calf right the way through. You know, I've only started working on the big farm, and he, I think it probably eighteen, yeah, it would probably be around then. Yeah, maybe a wee bit longer, but somewhere around a year and a half. One of the things that the farmer last week was speaking to me about was he was saying that um, sometimes um, the 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 calf that's um, the semen from the calf. That, Sorry, the semen that they use is to produce a calf that would be natural for the breed of the mother, and so sometimes they can have problems calving. And have you ever experienced or, or, or heard or witnessed about um, a mother cow having problems calving or doing like the splits? You know, where their legs buckle and they use the hobbles to keep, you know, which are chains to keep their legs together. Have you, have you experienced anything like that? I've never really heard much problems because obviously I'm not that familiar with AI at the minute. I've only started and I've only seen bits. Um, I've heard of um, a heifer cow, which is one that's never calved before, maybe yeah. having a big calf, um, but I've never seen any problems. I've seen the chains before. Um, the hobbles, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've never seen them in person, but I've seen videos, obviously, just of their feet chain to stop them splitting. Splitting, which is a, a problem with excessive calving, or if they have a big calf, it, calves, it literally causes them to do the splits on the back, and then after that, they'll probably... Um, sent to the Nakaman, you know, they become a downer cow or they become, you know, not, not too, too useful. Um, 
and and it, what about issues of of mastitis and stuff is that a yeah. mastitis is is in and of itself i mean humans can get mastitis that's not necessarily the the issue but do you find that when animals have mastitis and they, they don't respond to say the penicillin or all the antibiotics are they then are they just sold for slaughter what would um, be like a process of an animal that that no longer is, is profitable to the farmer what would what would happen then well, with mastitis, I've never really been one that's been that's been killed, um, because usually they just would lose the quarter that they're being milked on, or that has a mastitis, and then they'd just be milked on the three other quarters. Yes, yes. Um, other problems, though, as you say, like I've only ever seen cows that have got really ill beyond the point of I've never been with any. I hear of broken legs and stuff. We've mm. never had any of that trouble, um, but the only time cows have sort of been killed or sent to slaughter has been when they're the vet can't really do anything for them yeah you know we've had cows um there's a disease called yonis um right okay yeah can you describe that yeah um it's sort of we notice it in the parlor when they go off their food and they're not eating anymore um and then they just slowly and they don't really want to eat anymore although we got this orthopedic stuff sort of treatment which is plant-based um, it's not really chemical, but we started using it, and it seems to be helping. But they, um, they just don't eat, no. and they just slowly starve. Really, so when it gets to too far, we maybe um, bulk on them or get the man in the bulk on them, just because. You said you you bolt them. Um, I've heard of on, on small farm work, and I wasn't there, but he said they had the bulk on it that day because on the farm itself, on the farm, yeah, because. Um, we got a guy in that did obviously, but because yeah. we don't own a bulk gun or anything, but because they um they were just starving to death. It's kind of hard to watch. If an animal um you know, there are obviously um fatalities on farms, you know, naturally some animals pass away. Yeah. What, what what happens to the animals when they die in the farm? They how do you, do you I mean I've seen things of animals being thrown yeah. in bins and such, yeah. you know. What what would happen to a a cow if they if they died on the farm? Well, we're not allowed to dump them or bury them or anything by law, obviously, mm-hmm. because of environmental problems. So they, there's two places we sort of bring them to. There's two sort of processing plants. Obviously, um, a dairy cow, which doesn't, which isn't very, you know, doesn't have very much meat. They're not going to be used for human consumption. So I know they get taken away because obviously the guy comes, um, sort of in a lorry or whatever, and um, lifts them up and puts them in the back. And I think they are used for like dog foods and yeah, they are on there, other yeah. sort of foods. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's that's right. I feel like we've been talking for a while, so yeah. we'll we'll wrap up in maybe ten minutes or so. Is that is that good for you? Yeah. Um, and but also, if what well, I've got a couple more things I wanted to ask, but if there's anything that you've got written down, because I know you have notes, and I'm aware yeah. that I've led the conversation somewhat, so I want to give you that time as well. Um, so actually, we don't have to finish in ten minutes. We can finish whenever you want to finish. Um, it's kind of a cliche question. But I, I feel like I, I, I'm obliged to ask it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask the, the question, which is, do you think that morally, if we were doing these things to dogs, it would make a difference? If dogs were in slaughterhouses, would you think that was wrong? Like say Yulin, for example, where they have the dog meat yeah. festival. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I don't think I would see it wrong if dogs were being farmed for to eat. I wouldn't see it wrong. It's the fact that the dogs at the Yulin festival are skinned alive and you know you see all these bad videos and they're, you know, is he tortured? But I wouldn't yeah. see a problem if us as a society, if we had dog meat for them to be farmed. You know, people say, oh, how can you love a dog and kill the other animal? I know vegans are always saying that, but, yeah. you know, we don't eat dog. But um, it's a cultural thing, you know? Yeah, it definitely it is. Um, 
society that sort of determines we love these animals, they're man's best friend, and everything right, else, you know, right. we wouldn't dare kill them. But um, I do think if we were eating dog meat on a daily basis, I would not see it in a wrong way. So you don't think that morally there's a difference between a dog and a pig and a cow and a cat and a chicken? And, I wouldn't you know. morally. Yeah, so an animal is an it, animal. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and so if I was to go to the RSPCA and I was to adopt a Labrador or any, or any dog, would I be justified to, to kill them myself? Say, say that gentleman that we talked about in America who, yeah. who cries when he kills his animals. Yeah. Say I rescued a golden retriever. Could I then be justified, if it was legal, you know, to then take them home and cut their throat and, and do that myself if I wanted to in the same way that gentleman in America does? If you were using that animal and not just killing it to kill it, I wouldn't see you know, a problem with it if you were going to eat it, if you were going to you know, use its fur to make something, if you were going to... I wouldn't see a problem as long as you didn't. You know, you give it up until the point of killing, you treated it fairly, I would not see a problem with it. Yeah, it's interesting because so many people do have that issue, don't yeah. they? And it's, I think that's why vegans make that uh, comparison because it's a striking comparison. Um, we talked right at the beginning about taste, right? Mm-hmm. And do you think that uh, part of the reason why you consume these products is is because of the taste? You know, because, you know, if you can get calcium iron from other places, yeah. how much of, of why you consume those products is, is because you, you've simply just enjoy them? I'd say it's sort of 50-50. You know, you, you start off, obviously, you have to like something to eat it. It does help, right? And I do love um, meat and milk and eggs. And um, I always really have, especially um, proper milk, the raw stuff, you know. And, like, I keep my own chickens um, out the back garden, and um, I eat their eggs. And Do you kill the chickens at the end? Because we, well, I've never killed my chickens for my own consumption. Um, Would you? People always ask me that when they're around, and I think I could. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely think I could. Um, what would it take when you say could? What What would it take for that? Because if it was just like... Uh, KFC's closed or Sainsbury's is closed but I want chicken tonight would would, would, would you do it then? Uh, I don't think that would be compelling enough. What would what would be compelling enough then? To um, to need chicken you know like I think it, I think more of it's to do with these chickens like I see like I have like a real emotional connection with my chickens because they are um, in my back garden and everything else but I'm not saying I have more of an emotional connection with chicken than I have with our cows Mm. but they already serve the purpose of laying us eggs, so to really need to kill them, I would really need chicken. Like, I wouldn't... But what about when, when they stop producing eggs? What if it comes to a point where they stop producing eggs and they've got two years of life left in them? Would you, would you still keep them, or would you kill them then because they don't serve that purpose anymore? I'd say I could kill them. Um, would you? I mean, I could. If I had to, I yeah. could, but I, but I wouldn't. So would you, not could you? Uh, will I, you? I don't know if I will or would. Yeah, but you would go to Sainsbury's or, or KFC and buy chicken. Yeah, you said earlier that you were against factory farming mm-hmm. and you wouldn't advocate for factory yeah. farming, but you buy products that come from factory farms. But that's why I wouldn't. You know, um, we get a lot of our meat from local butchers, whatever. You know, a lot of farmers actually know, like where their processing plants we go from. You know, where we get our meat. And where do the chickens and pigs you eat come from? And if you, well, a lot of ours come from. We get our meat from McDonald's. It's a bit up the roof from us, but. Um, mm-hmm. We knew. I know a couple of the McDowell's family. I knew the farmers. You know, um, I get meat from. There's a butcher in Moira too, and you know, I would only. I wouldn't buy factory farm meat. Do you never go to KFC? You never, never well, Sainsbury's, never Tesco's, never restaurants, a, anything yeah. like that. But you see, that's the thing. 
that's where you don't know. Well, you, there's a good guess, right? With chickens yeah. and pigs especially, you know, unless, I mean, and my goodness, if it isn't factory farm, they're going to make such a song and dance out of it yeah. because it's just, that's the standard. And so if you say, well, you know, I don't advocate factory farming, but then you buy those products, then you, then you are inadvertently yeah. advocating for factory farming. But that's why I constantly advocate for, you know, at the minute I'm sort of looking at labeling with milk bottles, mm-hmm. putting on grass fed and outdoors, you know, like free range milk. I've seen a couple of organic milk companies putting on free range milk and yeah. saying that their cows are outside. And I would add, like, I would definitely push for, like, in the future, I would love to be self-sustainable. If I had my own farm, I would definitely, if I was raising chickens, whatever, I would definitely eat my own chickens, probably. Would you allow yourself to have a connection with them in the same way you do with these ones? I think it'd be hard not to. It would be hard not to. Yeah. You're right about that. You wouldn't necessarily have the luxury of you not allowing yourself yeah. to have that relationship. And if you could, say, nip down the road to the, the green grocer or wherever and, and buy something else that meant... Cause, when the day comes and what tell me the name of one of your chickens uh, there's one called Lucy Lucy okay so tell, so say today you're thinking right, today's the day Lucy's going to die but I could not do it and I could yeah. do something else you know but I guess that's the situation I, as a vegan I find myself in every day where I'm like oh I could do that but I don't need to and, and so every animal for me is like a Lucy in, in your eyes because mm-hmm. I, I don't need to do that so it's, it's funny like you have to have a connection with the animal to, to contemplate not killing them if that makes sense but if you don't have that connection it's but it's, it's funny because it relates back to what we said earlier about our oh, people in society now are more emotional it's like well actually you no know, you are as well because when you allow your emotion to have that opportunity you're like well i could but i probably won't but you won't think twice about going to sainsbury's and tesco's and or, or you know or, or, sorry with the butchers you said earlier yeah. and buying the products there even though those animals are also a lucy yeah but then you know i wouldn't believe in being like if the world went vegan i would obviously believe that i believe that a vegan world wouldn't work so i believe that we do need to keep consuming these products and we do need to keep farming these animals in order to be sustainable i know obviously you would disagree but that's sort of you know it's not just eating and taste no it's what you you can gain from that animal and what um is going to help you and you know would you let someone else eat Lucy? Would you let me eat Lucy if I said, you know what, you've convinced me today, I want to go back, but the first thing I want to do is come back to Ireland with you and eat Lucy. Would you, would you let me? It'd be hard. <laughs> but would you? Or would you be like, no, mate, let's, let's just not do that? Probably wouldn't let you. Probably. What about, any, would you let anyone eat Lucy? Probably not. Probably not. But then that's because you do see them as a pet, really. Mm-hmm. And people don't eat pets. No. But really, there's no difference, is there? It's just the connection you've allowed yourself to have with them that's important in that. And the, the pet is just really a, a term used for connection, I suppose. And you've not allowed these other animals to have connection. Not that you've not allowed, they've just yeah. not been able to. Yeah. Um, I want to give you, so please, if you've got notes written down, you yeah. know, and you, you, you ask me those questions because I, I know we're getting late and I don't want to wear you out and then not give you a chance to ask you some of the things, you know, allow you to ask some things. So, Let's let's let, let let's pass over the book, so to speak. Do you have any questions or any points you'd like to make towards me? Um, I just have a couple. Please, I was just thinking in terms of poultry. Obviously, um, factory farm kids, hens. You know, I'd be against that. You'd be against that indoors all year round. Right. But you know, let's say a chicken, like my backyard chickens, can go wherever they want. Yes. You know, we don't really have a boundary because they just escape. <laughs> yeah, they are. They are cunning yeah. sometimes, right? Yeah. They can go wherever they want. They lay an egg once a day. We take that egg, obviously. Mm-hmm. What would you deem wrong with that? Because 
when it goes to the animal sanctuary, obviously it's going to be doing the same thing, you know. Yeah. Um, good question. The, the issue of backyard hen, um, backyard eggs comes up a lot, actually. I guessed it by vegans as well. Yeah. Um, the podcast I'm releasing tomorrow, I, I talk about this actually, but I, I, I will address it now as well. Um, part of the, there's a biological and also an ethical aspect to it. Biologically speaking, like cows, we've selectively bred hens to produce a lot more yeah. eggs than they would naturally. 300, you know, a year. So mm-hmm. you're looking at the, you know, the best part of one a day is, as you were saying, your hens probably do. And the, the egg shell is made purely of calcium, which is why osteoporosis and broken bones is such a huge problem in all systems of egg farming. I think in free range barns, like 45% of hens suffer from a broken bone. So just before you interject, if the hens will eat their own eggs and it's a great way of replacing nutrients. So you can feed the eggs back to them and, and if, if that helps add longevity to their life because if, if taking their eggs means that their bones become more brittle and you're not replacing the calcium in their feed necessarily and, and all of these things, then, then that could actually impact their life in the long run. And although the suffering is not as obvious you know, comparatively to an, a hen in a cage, of course, but if it, it can impact their life in a negative way in the long run and so if we can avert that, then obli- we are obliged therefore for to do so so i say feed the eggs back to the hen um we can reduce the number of hens that so the number of eggs that hens like to lay by not encouraging them to lay more when we take them it encourages them if you leave them to try and lay like a clutch it can reduce the number of eggs which takes the strain off their body so it's thinking like that but for me it's for me veganism isn't is not about saying ah oh, you know we shouldn't harm animals for me it's, it's about changing our mentality and part of that is changing how we view other animals and and a lot of what you've been saying and this is because this is what you believe is that animals serve a purpose for us whereas i i don't believe that an animal's life is is their life and their right like in the same way you serve no purpose for me i serve mm-hmm. no purpose for you everyone we see today their, their purpose is not to serve us now a chicken's life uh, their life isn't to serve us and it's very subtle, but when we take that egg away from them, we're saying the opposite. And my issue is if we remove all animal farming and we're living in the vegan world and now everyone's got rescued hens in the backyard because mm-hmm. it's a, a nice thing to do and who could argue against that? And then you're taking the eggs. It, you're, you know, your neighbor Shirley or whoever could be like, can I have some eggs? And you're like, yeah, I mean, why not? It's, it's like a small step. And then Bob from across the road wants eggs. You take another small step and then you can start selling them because there's money. And then before you know it, you have a really small version of a commercialized egg farm. And then it kind of goes from there. And and that mentality is why we're here now. It's these animals are here for me and they serve me a purpose. And even on a small scale of taking their eggs, if we reinforce that, it, it, it sets a dangerous precedent for those, for continuing down the road again that we don't want to end up down. So for me, if, I, if, 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 you, if your two options were buying from caged hens and, 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 or free-range hens and, and eating those backyard hens, I can't tell you that eating the backyard hens is, causes as much suffering mm-hmm. as the other ones does because it doesn't. But for me, veganism is a philosophical belief system. It's about changing mentalities about the purpose of an animal. Um, so that that's for me why. Why not? But I also appreciate that that seems unusual because even when I was first vegan, I'd have thought that was mental. So I appreciate that to you, you're probably like, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, that was a developing idea for me about, first of all, it was animals are suffering in farms and slaughterhouses. I need to stop eating them. And it was like, well, hang on using animals in any way is wrong and it's like hang on why do i think an animal serves a purpose for me that was like my chronological progression mm-hmm. to where i am now so that that's what i think you know you say about you know leaving eggs and letting them and them eating yeah. them and stuff if you are taking away the eggs chickens naturally did eat their eggs when they laid like one every three months 
Right. But I believe if a chicken's eating its egg every day, it can only go through that cycle of replenishing nutrients, leaving nutrients so far, you know, to the point that it needs to eat something else too. You know, of course, it needs needs other foods yeah. as well. You know, the the feed that you feed them as a it's more of a, uh, a supplement, yeah, a supplementary course, so to speak. Like chickens eat everything, really. You know, they're eating food scraps out of the kitchen. They're eating the, the feed we give them. They're eating insects in the grass. Yes. And then, you know, my chickens wouldn't really bother to look at their egg once they've let it. They're just away off again. But if you cracked the egg for them, I'm sure they would. But that's because they're just curious. But then you're left with the eggshell. They wouldn't eat the eggshell. You can use the eggshell as a fertilizer for if you're growing some. You've got a little home patch of, you know, vegetables or yeah. whatever. Use that as a fertilizer or something. But then if they're not looking twice at it and they're heading on, what is so wrong with me taking it and using it because it is so well, I believe it is very good for us, you know. It's for, for me, it's that mentality that I was discussing. Yeah, and I appreciate sucks. that that, that yeah. doesn't make much sense to you currently. And like I said, a few years ago when I first went vegan, I had a thought that was just like proper extreme, you know. Yeah. But that's 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 what I worry about. And even in the vegan world, if we haven't got over this, this, this mentality of an animal's use and purpose, we can slip back into bad habits. And mm-hmm. it's not long before selling to your local neighbors equals selling to your local community, which means all of a sudden, you know, it's Ed's eggs, you know, and I'm yeah. selling them to supermarkets again. And it's just that dangerous road. And for me, we have to get over that mentality. So, because veganism is about animal use. It's not about an abuse. It's not about a farm. It's not about a slaughterhouse. It's just the generic idea of, of using someone else uh, when we don't have to. Um, it's a philosophical teaching. That's what that's that's what I hold true yeah. to myself about it. And it would be it would be morally um, it wouldn't be morally right for me to say, well, this is wrong and this is right. You know, I've, there has to be some level of consistency. Now, I don't believe in moral dogmatism. You know, I think mm-hmm. we can take that too far, but there has to be a sense of consistency. And I think, and also, I think another thing is just if it, say say you meet a vegan and uh, like oh, I'm vegan, but I eat eggs from the backyard. You're like, well, hang on. Yeah. it sends mixed messages of what being vegan means and I think being vegan means not doing this so let's just stick to those principles and so um, I think it just sends mixed messages to society well obviously it's like well vegans eating eggs and the, the, oops, sorry there's this thing called veganism like a couple uh-huh. of years ago it kind of died out I mean, thankfully but veganism is like vegans who eat eggs and it's like well that's not vegan then is it that's yeah. just that's just vegetarian so it, it, I think it's Vegan means this. This is what it stands for. Let's not muddy the water with like, ooh, but there's this exception and that exception. That's what I think. I go into a little bit more detail about it in in, uh, in the podcast that is tomorrow, but last yeah. week, depending on when you're listening to this. But um, yeah, but it, I think that's why it is so hard sometimes to come to terms with because you think on the complete opposite way that we do. Of course. Um, of course, it's a process. I didn't used yeah. to, and and you don't have to. Yeah. You know, even if you if even if you morally justify to yourself, um, morally justify makes it sound really intense. But even if you justify yourself the, the the notion of taking Lucy's eggs, that still doesn't mean you can buy other animal products. You know, it doesn't mean that you can then justify Daisy in the slaughterhouse. You know, or anything like that. It's just one aspect doesn't justify every other aspect, yeah. so to speak. And then, you know, veganism has grown so much from a sort of diet to a lifestyle to you know what some people are calling a cult nowadays you know <laughs> like, i do believe in some ways it is gone a bit mad do you think i'm part of that cult i that mad bit not really but um, i am but in terms of what it means to be part of the cult i do s- subscribe not, yeah but i fit that you know i i, I advocate i'm determined I get the better word is more extreme you know extreme. there's a lot of people that are very Describe what being an extreme vegan means, because I'm vegan, is you know, in in a way of I I don't even eat backyard hens, you know, yeah. that's probably extreme. Yeah, 
it is extreme, but like you do not. Well, I don't know, but you know this whole like that project calf. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a whole invasion of privacy and and you know really put people and made people very paranoid. Farmers, you know, giving away their addresses and their farms mm-hmm. and everything else. Mm-hmm. And it was sort of like the human didn't matter. Yes, it's just the calf that we care about. Mm-hmm. But their people, their families, and you know. What was it? Nine thousand dresses or something? Like, well, I mean, yeah, it was every dairy farm in the UK, yeah. wasn't it? Probably even including the ones you work on, I imagine. Like, we were all really, you know, people, security and everything just drops. Describe Project Calf. Well, I haven't heard the whole thing, obviously, but from what I know of it, it was, it was to combat Fred Brew Dairy. Yeah, it sort of came about after Veganuary, and yeah. um, it was the releasing of. Um, addresses of farms dairy farms in the uk yeah it was basically some vegan activists um released the location of every dairy farm in the uk um yeah that's project calf it's an interesting one isn't it because i can understand from your point of view why you'd see that as it creates a farm is scared Mm -hmm. like scared of it and I don't mean that like oh yeah what I mean is a farm is fearful that vegans are going to hurt them is what yeah, I'm asking yeah even just coming to their farm or vandalism or anything mm. or just I know it, our, all our addresses are out there but even it just being there on a page for someone to see you're a farmer and know you know yeah, it is a scary concept and definitely did strike a lot of you know anger you said before about like oh maybe I'm not part of that now I've I've trespassed on dairy farms before. Uh-huh. Do you, so what? How? So I I I guess I'm part of that problem. Yeah. And I and, and and when I say, but I would never. I think there's a, you know, me personally. When if I if, if I trespass onto a dairy farm, I'm scared of what the farmer will do to me, mm-hmm. and, and probably you know just as much as the, the farm is scared what I would do to him, and and so part of for Project Calf. For me, the, the situation is: I think it is is the obligation of a of a civilized society to to shine light on on an injustice. Now, you don't believe it's an injustice, which is where the problem lies. Yeah. But for us, it, we think what happens to animals, or we know what happens to animals, is an injustice because it it causes them the suffering and pain. So, as you say, those addresses are already available online. The difficulty is, it's you have to kind of come across them by yeah. chance. You know, it's it's a random thing just to find a dairy farm on Google Maps, right? But now it's consolidated them all, and what I. Th- this is a hard thing because I don't want any, I don't want, there's no reason for farmers to be scared of their, of their own safety. I mean, yes, of course there's, there's the issue of, you know, people trespassing, taking footage. And actually, so I run a, an animal rights group called Surge, co-run it. We released an expose into a dairy farm on Tuesday mm-hmm. with hidden cameras placed in the farm. And that farm, what the, the hidden cameras revealed was farmers punching the cows, kicking them, twisting their tails, sorts of things that you probably mm-hmm. find deplorable yeah. as well. And I'm not, I'm not grouping what you, I'm not saying it. Please don't. But through us trespassing, not us, but through the people who obtained the footage trespassing, they gave us the footage to release. Through them trespassing on that farm and, and putting the cameras up, they revealed something that you yourself would agree is horrible, right? Kicking, you know, swearing at them, twisting their tails, punching them, just horrible things. Um, so would you not say that, that that act of trespassing was justified because it shone light on something that's wrong? It was justified, maybe afterwards but initially there's no justification because like you justify releasing addresses and whatever for the animals whereas i would never say that 
justifiable to post someone's address and label them with their career when they haven't given you consent. Hmm. Consent, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because, you know, we talk about consent and you're right, there's... Well, you know, yeah, you know, vegans and they say, well, animals can't consent yeah. to this, but I mean, you're right in the sense the farmers didn't consent to that. But, um, but you you agree that after the footage came out, it was justifiable in that case. But I'm sure there's been plenty of cases where maybe farmers haven't been brutal towards cars, not in the same way. But again, that but there again, you know, there's no harm. Being, there's no stories of farmers being hurt from anything like this happening. Yeah, but surely it's complete invasion of privacy. What about an invasion of, of someone's body? Yeah, but we don't... Like, obviously, I don't justify AI, so... Oh, we're not even like that process, but, but just the can. commodification of someone's body. But then I wouldn't place them on the same level as a human being. But you don't have to. Because if it, the, 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 the notion of someone's farm being revealed on Google Maps compared to someone's body being, take, you know, being commodified and, and ultimately killed... You don't have to put them on a human's life on the same level as an animal's life necessarily to objectively believe that something's that that, that it's wrong, even if they are a non-human animal. Um, it's a tricky, it's a tricky one, and I understand, yeah. and I understand why it would be a bone of content, just more than a bone of contention. I understand why it would it would potentially even scare farmers, but that's part of why I'm concerned about the growing dynamic. Is farmers shouldn't be scared of vegans for their for their safety. You know, in the same way, I'd really hope that vegans shouldn't be scared for their safety. But I know, I know many vegans are, and yeah. myself, you know, I, I sometimes am in situations that I'm in as well. And I think the media has a big role to play, you know, creating this division, vegans versus farmers, when all we need to do is sit down and chat like you and yeah. I do. And, and that's why I want to do this, because, you know, I believe that, it, you know, through releasing that footage, the act of what we did was justifiable. Mm. Um, but as you rightfully say, you know, well, not rightfully, but the point you make is, well, how did you justify it in the beginning? Mm-hmm. And they just and they justify it by saying, well, because this can this happens on farms, and yeah. and, and it's the, it's the role of a civilized society to root out things that happen that are, that are immoral. But then I wouldn't see the killing as immoral. No, it's tricky. That's isn't why it? it's so. Do you think that people have a responsibility to be aware, though? And, and because farming often doesn't divulge, you know, February dairy is about, like, the idea of, of, of making the dairy industry transparent. But the only thing I ever get told from February dairy is, here's a video of my cows grazing. You can get calcium from milk. But I don't see footage of people walking off with dairy calves in their hands saying, this is February dairy. I don't see footage of animals in slaughterhouses. If, if you want to be, I'm not saying you, but if the yeah. industry wants to be transparent, then you've got to show the whole picture because then... You know, I, I don't feel the need to release footage taken from hidden cameras because you're being completely transparent. But I feel like that transparency is what scares the farming industry. Yeah. But why? Why why would it why not be completely transparent? Where's the footage of Ryan carrying the calf out of the pen saying this is February dairy, this is dairy, embrace it. But then I see I think that's getting a lot better. Like there was a there was a, um, a big campaign because of people not knowing this, there was a there's a Facebook page called New Zealand Farming girls or something i think it's run by these two girls from new zealand yeah and they would post all these things they did a post on cows being in solitary pens explained why the Mm -hmm. reasons why they're doing it um they did one on why calves are separated from mothers yeah they explained everything they did one on um antibiotics and stuff being in milks and um mastitis they they did a post also thing of each one and i think they are growing to talk about these things and people are being more transparent with it 
Do you think that's because vegans are, are bringing light to these things that otherwise... Because this has been happening for decades, but it's never been discussed. But now it is. But I think, yeah. I think that's because vegans are making a big deal out of it. And so farmers are now thinking, why well, better response to this? Because yeah. otherwise people are going to draw judgments based on what the vegans are saying. It probably is. You know, vegans are talking about all this and showing everything. And I'd say people did know about it until it became commercial. Mm. And all superstores and everything else. You know, we sell our milk straight from the farm. People are up at the farm. They mm-hmm. say, can we go see the cows? I'll show them. Yeah. You know, yeah. I would never be like, oh, you know, I would never not want to show anyone around our farm because there's nothing I deem wrong. Um, so in, in essence, if, if a vegan came mm-hmm. walking on your farm mm-hmm. to film or to put yeah. hidden cameras up, what would, what would be your con- there would be no concern then? What, what's Hidden cameras? If they came and consented and said, we'd like to film something, can we? Completely fine. If they came in the dark of night, sat off cameras without me knowing, I just did this complete invasion. It's like someone going into your house and saying, oh, can we see what you're doing on a daily basis? Yeah. And if you've got nothing to hide, you're doing nothing criminal, you wouldn't mind that much. Would you let me come on one, on your farm? Yeah. And would you let me film? Yeah. Film you taking the calf? I can obviously film the AI. Mm-hmm. Could we go to the abattoir together and film? Obviously, it wouldn't just be your permission. Yeah. But theoretically speaking... Theoretically, I would not have a problem with it. I, Knowing what I do, I don't deem it wrong. I don't... You know, I wouldn't have nothing to hide. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's interesting, you know. I feel like part of the process is, is hidden. And so I yeah. think that that air of transparency in itself, and it is, and, and the interesting thing from that is if it, some, if you just film something objectively, mm-hmm. so say, if, you know, say it is something about the separation or the artificial insemination, it's just, it's, it's a complete objective documentation of what's happening. So I'm filming and I'm going, this is horrible and you're doing it and you're thinking this is fine. Mm-hmm. And then the emphasis is put on what the, the person the without the biases, yeah. you know, so, you know, you and I are going to have our own individual mm-hmm. biases and you know, I'm going to be like, oh, this is terrible, but, is if you just released it and then people draw their own conclusions, well, that's their own conclusions. There's something powerful about that. Exactly. Well, maybe, 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 maybe one, d- maybe we'll see each other again. But yeah. do you have any, any anything else you'd like to ask? Any other questions? Any other notes you got wrote down? Something mm-hmm. I said earlier that you didn't have time to respond to that you, that you want to pull me up on? Anything like that? Um, There's no pressure either. We, you know, we not can... really. I don't think so. You've sort of covered. Are you happy with how this conversation has gone? Yeah. You, you you feel like you've had a chance to express yourself and. Good, good. Definitely. I'm happy to hear that. That's what I want. You know, that's just you know, I like I like talking. It's interesting, and I learn from you. You know, exactly. you know, and I think that's the, that's the the point of it. You know, I feel you know, it's interesting. I'm sure in many ways, maybe you feel like how your your preconceptions. You know, you you know through just you know through talking about it, you can kind of reaffirm them to yourself. Likewise, I feel like I can reaffirm them to myself. And it's like what I was saying about objectively filming. This is such an objective conversation. There's no animosity. There's nothing. It's just you're saying you're what you believe. I'm saying what I believe. And then it's down to whoever's listening yeah, to, exactly. to come up. What and that's the way, isn't it? But that, that's that has to be the way. You know, you have to come in and think. I'm not. I'm definitely not going to change your mind. No, you're probably not going to change my mind. Probably it's not. Up to who's listening to make the decision yes and and it's I, all by choice I do believe yes I agree a choice and and for me that choice is I factor in the choice of the animals who yeah. like to live And but anyway look um, we've been speaking probably a long long time it's, it's quite late now here at the time so let's wrap it up now if you're happy yeah. to do so um, thank you so much for coming in today um, I'm going to do a little thing I did buy Ryan Greg's vegan sausage roll I actually mm-hmm. bought him and his girlfriend a couple so I hope you enjoy them thank um, you very much he's probably 
I had offered, we were going to go to Unit Diner. I've, I've only got a really short amount of time with Ryan. I was like, I'm going to get McGregor's vegan sausage roll. We're going to go to Unity Diner. I'm going to, you know, make, you know, we might not have time to do all those things, but I was like, let's do this properly. Um, but anyway, look, whatever we do after this, I, I want to, I'd like to remain in contact. Yeah, definitely. You know, I would be interested in coming over and mm-hmm. visiting you in Northern Ireland. You've come over here to do this and, and talk to me. So I would, I would be interested to, to maybe come and, and, and come to one of your farms, both of them ideally yeah. maybe, and just, you know, I mean, I've been on farms before, yeah. but I, you know, that doesn't mean there isn't something. So I'd love to go okay. maybe, and if we can figure out something where I can film, we can talk about it. Yeah. But the point is, okay. I'm really grateful you're here. Thank you for coming. Um, it's be, been yeah. a journey for you and I want to, remain in contact yeah um, definitely. cool and um yeah if you've got anything else to add this is this is the time but if not we'll uh we'll say goodbye not really just thank you very much it's been a good conversation it has it i has. like to keep in contact too cool all right well thank you everyone for listening hope you found this enjoyable and you've, you've taken something from this um vegan non-vegan whatever there's plenty for us to learn and conversation and dialogue i think is so essential um and you know Whether or not Ryan thinks I'm part of the vegan cult, I think maybe I am. Maybe we'll see. But anyway, hope you've all enjoyed listening. Um, I'll see you next week on the next episode of the Disclosure Podcast. But until then, have a great week and we will speak soon.